0: Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. There's a secret sauce in the Camp Gladiator experience that we try and uncover with this week's guests Mason Murphy and Cody Hill. Is it the sets and reps? Could it be the convenience of location? The intangible element is something that's hard to articulate, but evident when it is present. A combination of vetted instructors and a culture of accountability is what has allowed this community to thrive through such challenging times. Sure, it's not a novel concept, but camaraderie is hard to come by these days, and Camp Gladiator has nailed it. This week, business, hunting, kids, not to be confused with hunting kids, that's all in store. Here it is, episode 440.
1: Welcome to Power Athlete Radio, gentlemen, and we have our Camp Gladiator team indoors, and thank you to Donnie Maeve for the introduction well over a year ago and the connection to what y'all are doing here. So we have Mason and Cody joining us to share what is going on in in fitness in the world through Camp Gladiator's eyes, and I'm sure we'll get down a lot of different rabbit holes and explore different things, but excited to bring y'all in because you're doing some cool things and where a lot of different fitness companies either packed it up and quit or found different ways Mm -hmm. to not be successful, y'all are killing it. So excited to, to get into our conversation today and wherever the, on earth this
2: takes us. Yeah, because we started with Jeeps and Buffalo Chips and our first kisses. What?
3: Coffee. Whoa, coffee. 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 Bourbon. <laughs> Bourbon. I mean, all guys the essentials. Stuff. Yeah, totally, all the essentials. Totally normal, guys. It's already been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Everything from here is up.
1: Yeah, let's, let's give our listeners a quick introduction. So let's lead off with Mason, and then we'll give the mic to Cody and see where that takes us.
3: Great, thank you. Well, first of all, thanks, gentlemen, for just the invite. This has been a lot of fun and a great experience so far. Uh, my name's Mason Murphy. I live in Dallas, Texas. Um, I've got a wife and some kids. My wife, Crystal, and I have five kiddos. Youngest is four and some change. Oldest is uh, 13. So we're living the big family lifestyle. Um, I've been a part of Camp Gladiator, strangely enough, since the beginning. I had close relationships with Jeff and Allie Davidson, our co-founders, and so I kind of knew them, and when Allie started this thing, Uh, 12 years ago in Dallas uh, back in 2008 um, I happened to be a a personal trainer at a local club there in Dallas and so she was needing some help and probably the only only person she knew that was a trainer so kind of right time right place for me and uh, so I've been a part of it since the beginning and it's been a pretty awesome wild ride and uh, looking forward to kind of diving in more to some of the nuances of kind of what we're doing now and maybe some of our history but yeah thanks for having me on
4: thanks for having us guys Um, my name is Cody trainer here in Austin Texas Uh, I have a wife and two fur babies as it were Um, no kids yet but uh, started CG started the process to be a CG trainer back in 2013 Um, and it's been it's been a like Mason said it's been a fun ride since then Um, and uh, I'm excited to chat about whatever we're gonna end up chatting about today so
2: well, guys dig in a little bit too because is it possible that listeners may not know what Camp Gladiator is?
4: Very possible. Okay, it's international.
2: Yeah, because we're, we're worldwide, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, we, sure. We've got a friend or two in the UK that well, we And got.
5: we know some people in Sweden, so. Oh, even better.
2: Yeah, so give us some background on, yeah. on Camp, bleh, Camp Gladiator, CG.
3: Sure, so uh, Camp Gladiator is an outdoor fitness program for adults. We are outdoors, so we we try to form really strong relationships with the uh, local communities, so. Our locations, if you will, it's not a brick-and-mortar shop, it's not a place to open the door, it's outside. We partner with local churches, local schools, parks and recreation, sometimes commercial real estate, and say, hey, here's what we do. We bring people out, we do, um, you know, it's it's boot camp, Uh, so we're working out outside, a lot of bodyweight stuff. Our campers, as we call them, our clients, bring their own set of dumbbells and a mat we bring other equipment out uh, if we want to. We don't have to, but most trainers kind of acquire some equipment to kind of diversify and bring some some creativity to the workouts. And we're just looking for a, a a nice, clean parking lot that's well lit, that's safe, that's maybe a fixture in the community that everybody knows it by name. Everybody knows the name of their high school and where it is. Everybody knows the name of their you know their local park, and it it, it allows the the idea of. Extreme convenience. We learned really early on, a long time ago, as we kind of surveyed our our campers. Hey, what do you what are you liking about this? What do you value most? Mm-hmm. And there was this question that uh, the answer was always very sticky. And it was like, of these ten things, what do you value most? And uh, it, believe it or not, it wasn't it wasn't the price point. Um, much to my chagrin, it was not like a super well educated, super <laughs> dynamic, charismatic trainer. That Isn't was like that was like, third. Yeah. was like oh yeah, <laughs> like oh I see wrapping into important. this. It was convenience of location. You know, today's super crazy, hectic, chaotic life. They got to squeeze it in. It's got to be close to work or close to home. And so we kind of realized early on. And at that time in 2008, 2009 in Dallas when we started, there was, um, you know, I mean, boot camps were kind of this, they were out there for sure. But it was usually maybe a six or eight week program. It revolved around probably one trainer. Um, the, the price point was, was pretty high, probably in the 150 plus range for maybe only three workouts a week, you know, maybe had, uh, some early morning options, some evening options. And there was a gentleman who was actually doing it to his credit fairly well. He was kind of pioneering big boot camps in Dallas at the time. He had this huge location down by the American Airlines Center where the Mavericks and the Stars play and had like 100 people out there. And Allie, um, who was you know, Austin born and raised, an amazing athlete, could have really played anything in college, she got a scholarship to play basketball at Ole Miss. She played there for a couple of years, came back and finished out at uh, Texas State. And she had always been on a team her entire life. You know, she had the benefit of a coach and teammates and camaraderie and accountability. And then she, you know, finished up college and entered into the workforce. And like, I don't have that anymore. I miss that. So she went to a boot camp in Dallas and was a participant and said, hey, this is kind of neat. But, you know, it was kind of military themed and it wasn't very personal. And it wasn't the same kind of team like high five that she had been accustomed to. And she missed that. So long story short. Different story, but she goes on the TV show American Gladiators. They brought it back from the old days in, in, in the '80s. She wins the whole thing. The, the confetti's fallen, hundred thousand dollars, and has this amazing moment to like, what? You know, let's leverage this moment, let's capitalize on this. And uh, her husband Jeff, who's uh, you know a super smart guy, very entrepreneurial kind of a guy, and driven guy. He was a finance guy at the time. It was like, okay, how many people are out there at this boot camp you're going to, and how much are you paying? and they kind of took yeah exactly wheels are turning and and the idea is hey let's let's do this our way let's do it on our terms let's make it more about you know having a coach and being an athlete and the fun the camaraderie the accountability and thus, camp Gladiator was born in dallas in 2008 and it's just grown and grown from like Allie the trainer to 40 people at a park that she's just pulling from her network um to now we're you know just shy of a thousand trainers we're in lots wow. and lots of states We've got uh, just shy of 100,000 what we call bold members that are on kind of like a recurring membership, and like they're committed to, to CG. And so it's been awesome. It's been a blessing. And I think we we kind of hit and found something that was missing in the marketplace from what was the traditional, like, I want to work out. I want to live this some idea of this healthy lifestyle. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I can lace up my shoes and go running around the block. I can try to do it on my own. I can go to the gym. And that just wasn't working for a lot of folks. So they were dissatisfied with it. And I think we kind of occupied this this local community feel, have a trainer at an affordable price point that's convenient for me with great community and culture. And uh, so far it's been working great.
2: So Mason, I feel like early on in some of these startups, like, you, you know, it's very loose. You're kind of, the Kentucky windage is there. You're shooting from the hip. When did today's Camp Gladiator start to really take form? Like, was it, was it out of the gate? Like the same values, the same process and it scaled from there? Or like, did it take shape a couple years later?
3: That's a great question. And we talk about that because we, we talk about like, okay, we're 12 years. I mean, it, it, still today we're, even though we're doing some really exciting things, we, we still kind of talk about how we're, okay, maybe we're not in our infancy, but we're, you know, maybe we're like a clumsy seven or eight or nine year yeah, old in terms yeah. of like our maturity as a business and where we want to go. We've still got a lot to figure out, but we have evolved and progressed and, and learned from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the core product from a, from a, the camper, the, the customer perspective it hasn't changed that much. So much of it revolved around and I know culture's kind of that word that you like to throw around now and in business today and but I mean so much of that is just from Ali. Like, you know, her personality and who she is. And we talk about sometimes and laugh about like what we were doing in the first couple of years and like oh, yeah. laughing slash right. like, oh, ridiculous. Yeah, that sounded like a great idea. Not yeah, really. yeah, right. <laughs> but but it only worked because Allie was doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you were bought into her. And it was right. so fun, right. but we realized over time we've had to kind of you know, mature in some ways and figure out what is, what is our, the core of our product, mm-hmm. what does it mean, what does it stand for. And this whole idea of like our four-week cycle where every week kind of has a theme within our five-week program, that didn't come around until probably three or four years later. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, one of our early trainers who was here, here in Austin, um, Jeff Ogden, probably at some point in time you played against him, John, <laughs> but that was kind of his brainchild. He was like, man. This is cool and I love it, but there's so much randomness going yeah, on. Structure in the it. Structure, exactly right. And so he gets credit for kind of like the idea of that. And that's that's formed over the years. So change your credit. The core book was always there, but it is absolutely improved in, in a lot of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Cody, you came on, I guess, right during like out of that tumbling toddler phase and, you know, a little more coordinated. Sure. So tell us about what you were doing before and what your experience was to draw you into the CG lifestyle.
4: Yeah, it was, it, it was a little serendipitous. Um, before I came across CG, I had a friend who was running a boot camp in College Station. I graduated from Texas A&M, and she basically said, hey, gig him. She said, hey, I can't run this boot camp. Will you do it? Um, and at the time, I, was, I had just been certified through NASM. I was like, sure, let's, let's go for it. Um, and I did my variation of outdoor group fitness. And then ended up meeting um, a trainer here in Austin through a friend. Went to his workout and realized oh my gosh, what I've been doing is terrible Uh so bad that will happen yeah and And it it still does happen every now and then
5: it's almost like every couple of years you're gonna probably have to go back and apologize to your clients and your people and being like (laughs) ah i'm really sorry about what we did like i thought i knew what i was doing so Uh, true yeah so true and it'd be weird if that wasn't the case you know if i'm doing the
4: same thing 10 years you know that that would be strange um so came across cg and i was like wow there's there is a better way to be doing group fitness or outdoor boot camps, whatever you wanna call it. Um, And so I was hooked immediately because I wanted to learn and I wanted to serve people a little bit better. Um, And so then it just snowballed. Um, But I think I I can't add a whole lot to what Mason said. I think um, the core values have really stayed in place and we've stayed true to that. Um, But the actual delivery of it, um, the structure of it, I think those things have certainly evolved um, and, and drastically improved just over seven years that I've been
5: with CG. Well, I mean, it sounds like you guys have really hit the mark. I mean, with 100,000 people, you know, members and 1,000 trainers, I mean, you guys are really providing an experience for people that far exceeds, you know, the average expectation. I mean, uh, to be able to not only have that volume of kind of like, um, I mean, I guess you guys are more within the corporate structure of the management, but those people that are your agents on the on the ground, you know, the trainers, and their ability to go out and influence... Uh, how have you guys helped those individuals kind of mold within like the CG culture? Because I mean, you know, to be able to, you know, find a thousand ringmasters that can effectively run a good circus and like have people have fun and have an experience, I think that's where the real magic of this thing is. How have you guys gone and and really like, um, I guess, empowered those individuals to go out and be creative and yeah. charismatic and dynamic individuals to to grow to this size? That's a great question and.
3: You know, I don't. I don't. We still have a lot to learn to do that. You know, at the end of like any uh, any business, it comes down to the people, right? It's like it's like if we're a we're people business. We're trying to take this this great idea and this great product that really came from you know Ali's brain a long time ago and has kind of been morphed and. and I'm more impressed that she won American Gladiators. And oh, it
5: was amazing. was that against Uh I was thinking and, that's got to be Carino. That's got to be Gina Carano oh, and Weider. She was for sure on. Who's Gina Carano? And. Mandalorian?
2: Uh, Dreamweaver, first, first kiss, yes.
5: <laughs> uh, and uh, Mike O'Hearn was probably in there. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mike O'Hearn would have been one of those guys. You, uh-huh. you can watch. Uh, there's some station that
3: shows those. You know, yeah, and, it. And, and, I'm and on sure he, it's on. he keeps popping up. And you can see it. It was, it was. an amazing feat of athleticism. Allie definitely used what she was great at, which is you know the speed, the agility. She was strong, but you know, let's be honest, she's a Like you know, she's got 100 pounds on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was strategic in how she ultimately won that thing. So it's fun to go back and watch it again. It's very dramatic. You well, no,
5: it? And, and great and great on the branding. Like um, I was going to ask where the Clamp Camp Gladiator name came from, and like the fact like that, that she a was
2: heritage from American, yeah,
5: gladiators. To American yeah. gladiators, and like great cross sell, great promotion, and you yeah. know being able to to yeah. look at that. So no, it's good. And that was it's interesting. You know, in the
3: early days, it totally made sense to revolve this idea around Allie and in, in, in the win, but as it had grown more and more, we realized that it It has less relevance. Oh, you know, yeah. as we gotten oh, bigger, yeah. that was a long time ago, well, nobody if, knows what that show is. And so it's been kind of interesting to figure out like what our identity is. Separate from the show when our name is so tied to the show.
5: Well and, and also um if the company or the ethos or whatever revolves around one person, it can only grow as big as that individual because mm-hmm. then everybody expects to show up and see Alias or Trainer.
3: That's right. That's exactly and so, right.
5: So well, you know, kind of the reason this, you know, power athlete and, you know, the collection of people uh is because it has to be bigger, it has to have a bigger image, it has to be something um, you know, bigger than one person. That's and exactly. And I think right. if you can do that, then you have the ability to scale it. I get nervous when I see things where people are like you know i don't know so mm-hmm. and so fit, and you 're like ah uh, okay how do you how do you push that to somebody else? How do you make a bigger brand mm-hmm. so that was just kind of an And we encountered that a lot,
3: John, so kind of back to your original question like how, how are we empowering the people you know we're one of the ways is we just we cast a wide net um, we 're not limiting ourselves in terms of who we're like our idea of who we, who's going to make this great c g trainer um, we absolutely pull from the, from the from the industry, the fitness industry, but we 've also had. A lot of our, our campers, you know, so it, it, is what I was ask it's that you. culture that it, it, people love it mm-hmm. and it just fills this void and they get so drawn into it that they're like, I'm not happy when I'm, I want to do what you do. Tell me more. So and, can I dig
2: into that yeah. a little bit? Because I think, you know, this is like, it's a very entrepreneurial endeavor from my, like from my perspective. So, you, and this happens within the CrossFit paradigm. And a lot of the coaches that we interface with are like entered the, 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 through the doorway of into entrepreneurialism through being a client at a gym. Sure. And what they don't realize is what's, in, what's waiting for them through that doorway, mm-hmm. which is they need to understand things like marketing, retention, client management, things like that. Insurance. So, so when you talk about... legal, Yeah, yeah. When you talk about... Finance. Recruiting from within, is, it, is there like a culture sh- shift for those once campers, now trainers that are like, oh, this isn't as fun as being a camper? 100%. So, how, so then how do you all It's so
3: hard, that? and we've learned that. And, um, well, you know, I'll just say, like, we, to kind of tie all these answers together, you know, we have, we, really we grow the business through leadership, right? That's not like a really cliche thing to say, but it's so true for us because every one of our trainers is, uh, you know, now we're, we're a franchise model, so we have these franchisees. Um, that have to, like, there's a lot of support and there's a lot of structure from our headquarters team that's, Mm -hmm. you know, just down the road from here that's 80 plus strong full-time salary employees Mm -hmm. who are helping Camp Letter to grow and helping ultimately to serve the trainer to be successful who are literally having the relationships with the ultimate client, the camper in the field, right? Wherever the community might be you know, Denver, Nashville, Orlando San Antonio Um, that's who we're trying to reach and we reach that through a lot of different people and so you know, at the end of the day we we have to try to cast this wide net to bring people who really have a passion for this. And y'all, y'all can appreciate that, you know, we can, you can teach people, y'all, this is what y'all are all about. You, you can teach people how to be a trainer and how to be a good trainer. 100%. It's really hard to teach some of the entrepreneurial quote unquote things, the characteristics, the drive, the ambition, the, all the things you get, marketing and sales. And we get a lot of folks who are so drawn to what they know of the experience, which is natural. And that's great. We support that. But I still haven't quite figured out how to really pull somebody aside over a cup of coffee and pancakes and say okay this is what it really is and we'd love to invite you into it but we've got to make sure it's a good fit. Is this what you want? It's way more time than you think. Yeah. I mean you know these are business owners who are working with uh, you know field leaders locally kind of directors and helping them to be successful and help communicate that information and there's, there's like three layers of that before you get to our, our headquarters team and our co-CEOs and so we're, at the end of the day it's going to sound weird but You know, we're only as as strong a company and as successful, and we're only going to be able to scale if we can really learn how to develop leaders Mm -hmm. because everything scales through leadership. And that starts with the top Mm -hmm. and comes on down to our regional presidents and our region directors and our area directors who eventually are assembling a team of trainers who are actually touching the customer.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think just to the March-April timeframe of this year where there was such a healthy thriving industry within adult fitness and the micro gym and micro camp climate. And then all of a sudden you remove the ability to socialize and be, you know, in the closer proximity and things are shut down. And now like those weaknesses or limiting factors within, within a business owners or like a pseudo entrepreneur, solopreneur, like those are really going to like crumble what the foundation of what you're doing. And I'm curious. So when, the social distancing restrictions came into place. Did you guys have to pivot the the mentorship and the education to help facilitate? Well, and also
5: the shutting down of uh, of gyms and, like, outdoor mm-hmm. fitness and, like, I mean, was that always something out there or, or like, because I know when they closed gyms, I mean, you know, 24-Hour Fitness, Gold's Gym, everything closed. I mean, whereas, were people still able to go out and assemble in a park? and
3: Yeah. Cody, you want to take kind of your experience on how that was for you here?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
4: there was, There's was a, there a little bit of awkwardness where we had limited outdoor sizes, um, and then we eventually just pivoted into virtual training, um, mm-hmm. where we were hopping on Zoom and even Facebook Live. Um, and that was really just a, a way for us to kind of find our footing and still deliver to our campers what we wanted, the service that they were essentially paying us to, to deliver on. Um, so does that kind of answer mm-hmm. the question? There, there's, yeah, there's, I think there's maybe like 10 days, two weeks where it was just, it was touch and go. Some people were only virtual due to location restrictions from the property managers mm-hmm. or the schools, whatever it might be. Um, and then other people had limited class sizes and then things just kind of evolved from there.
3: Yeah. You know, Jeff, our, our CEO, co-CEO deserves a lot of credit because he was very, paying very closely attention to what was kind of going on uh, overseas. And it was very evident that like this is this is going to happen here. it's just a matter of time. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. we're watching the day's trick and and you know he had kind of created some initiatives early on with the executive leadership team to like kind of create a backup plan and um and sure enough, we got a chance to realize that plan. but you know john we we were we were very blessed we were fortunate because we were uniquely leveraged, I think to weather the storm, sure. Um, because we were outdoors, right? And so it, yeah. it's, it's outdoors and there's no shared equipment. And you know, That was such a concern of going into a gym and taking yeah. your hands on all these things. And so we we stood a chance and, it, you know, definitely still required a lot of great leadership and just decisive, like, here's what we're doing. And then it was very, you know, for us, we're all these different states and, and some states and even some cities in the states are, have, you know, restrictions. It's like, well, what's the governor saying? What can we do? What can't we do? Right. And we're just kind of having to like go through all the nuances yeah, one of off. that. One off. And so North Carolina Raleigh might be doing something a little bit different and more extreme than we are, because you know, Governor, Governor Abbott's hey, you know, a little bit different in terms of his take on this. So we're having to pay attention to that. But at it, at the end of the day, like when it really reached its peak, we we just could not meet anymore. You know, at some point it became like a thing you can only have like ten people social distance and that got so far away from like what we what we're doing, because, you know, we have much bigger groups, 50, 60, 70 people sometimes, sometimes a lot less. But at that point, we just realized, you know, and, and plus the public imaging of it, like, yeah, can, yeah. can we but should we? Right. Yeah. And so we had to shut it down. And that's when it got really weird for a while. And we're doing Facebook Live. I'm a guy, by the way, like, you know, social media marketing has been a big part of CG's growth for many years now. I'm not that guy. I I had never (laughs) been Facebook live at all. I don't want that kind of spotlight on me, but we all had to do it and it was terrible. And and then we realized quickly after probably two or three weeks of that, that, okay, this is not going away quickly. And that's when we kind of pivoted and and had the zoom relationships and some key leaders inside who had that like awareness and kind of brought that idea. And I will just say really quickly, what's interesting about the timing of this is that we had already kind of had our eye on, Mm. you know, three, four, five, 10 years down the road, yeah, I think I, re- I came across a stat the other day that like right now ish, you know, the digital fitness industry is a five or six billion dollar year industry, right, right? And the projections over the next five to ten years is thirty billion. Mm-hmm. And we were like already kind of dabbling in understanding what it's like and taking a lot of like classes to kind of get a feel for it. And should we get into this space? And in our mind, that was going to be a 2023 2022 maybe like 2020
5: to push you a square in the back and force you to go do something we're talking
3: literally like get there now and it was so so well received and you know of course our our campers gave us so much grace because they were just happy they could keep doing anything Mm, yeah um and it wasn't perfect and it's still not perfect we're still growing and trying to figure it out but it, it was so well received and so positive that like we've got to keep doing this and so i think somewhere in the summertime we made the official declaration that like you know, covert or not, we're going to keep doing this. This right. is a part of our new business model because ultimately we can reach so many more people through oh, it. Yeah. And so now we're scrambling to figure out what does it mean for us? How do we take some of the outdoor elements that make mm-hmm. it special? Do they transfer to virtual or do we need to kind of own that these two products are the same in some ways, but also different in some ways too.
2: I mean, I can remember. I don't remember the day. Like I remember walking in, it was a Monday to come in train at 6am, 7am, whatever we had. I want Was it early March?
5: It was early March. Mm-hmm.
2: Remember in like, I came in, I'm like, guys, I think this thing's real. Like, kind of like what you yeah. were talking about with your co-CEO. I'm like, I think we need to like prepare. Like, what are we going to do? And then I'm like, well, or maybe it's not. Like, maybe... what You know, we're just... All three of us were in there workshopping. Like, okay, let's pretend it's real. Let's go with it. And what our solution was, was to bring to light... We were working with the military and they were trying to figure out how they can drive a strength and conditioning program in austere environments with very minimal equipment. Mm-hmm. And we just, like, had throwing a dart at, what if we just get, you know, they have tons of cinder blocks and ammo cans and like duffel bags. Let's build a program out of that. So we had conceptualized a template and a program out of that in 2017, 2018. And then it just kind of like shelved, went on the shelf. (laughs) And then we said, Hey, it's time to, it's time to dust that bad boy off. And that morning Tex and I went to home Depot shopped around. I was over there like, I was looking at price per pound on everything. Like, what's the cheapest stuff? That's the heaviest stuff. <laughs> well, cinder like,
5: blocks thirty five pounds for two ninety nine. Yeah,
2: and then and then uh, forty pounds of, of powdered concrete yeah. as well is like uh, six dollars. So yeah, it's like we're talking twenty twenty cents a pound on this stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's get a bucket, close it down so there's no silica dust, and like, boom, 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 we get it all set up. And we're like, okay, here's our equipment. It costs us forty bucks. Let's build a whole training system around this thing, and it like. Yeah, and Then we filmed 150 movements. Yeah. And, <laughs> Just, uh, let's creative. do this. Let's do this. You know, right. so um, that's how our program called Third Monkey was born. But it was like, I mean, y'all were, were we had met with you guys months prior. Mm-hmm. Maybe, when did we initially uh, go out right. there? Do you remember, Tex?
5: Well, uh, let's see. Was it a year ago? UT, UT
1: Clinic happened in January. That's right. Yep. And then shortly after that. Yeah. in February.
2: So yeah. the, um, like, you guys were an inspiration for that, too, We're like, the CG folks are out there with like just a set of dumbbells, getting like Man, getting
5: jacked, getting like, sweaty. There's no reason
2: we couldn't put something together that with like some cinder blocks. Now, as we got to like throw these things around, you realize why people don't use cinder blocks as like a regular <laughs> daily training apparatus because uh, they're on, like sharp edges and
5: yeah, you got to <laughs> knock the edges off a little yeah, bit or, or wear some blocks. gloves.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but funny. people have been following it, and uh, it's been crazy to see what folks are willing to do. When when they're stripped of their gym well, or their right. fitness, well, outlet. we also
5: saw a huge spike for uh, like uh, like the rise of the grudge gym. So people mm-hmm. were like, "Hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've taken my training away from me. Now I'm going to basically." Mm -hmm. clear out my garage and I'm going to build this uh, personal training space. And so we've really, uh, you know, that was kind of always our market was like the garage gym or the person that wants to bang weights and have the best, uh, you know, experience. We'll
2: spend spend like 500 bucks on a barbell and some weight, you know?
5: So we had a ton of those people. And I think there was a lot of people that were doing programs at the global gym or, you know, somewhere else. And when, as soon as that got cut down and they were kind of stuck, uh, the third monkey program poured it over pretty well to get people to, you know, here's something to follow until you can build a garage gym and then people went out. It's pretty amazing the stuff we get tagged in. And I look at these uh, you know, garage gym environments and what people are building, and I'm like, holy hell, that looks nice. So it's pretty cool that we've seen like a rise of fitness. And I think uh if anything like this ever happens again, nobody will ever be unprepared. Mm, like that's right. the one that that I keep getting. Like, hey, if this happens again, I'm good. Like we don't have to leave the house. We can train, we can do everything, like we can continue to persevere through this. We won't get caught with our pants down.
3: No doubt. It really is like it's just so big, like the industry, and even the perception of fitness from probably most people out there. I think has been forever changed, and I'd argue in a good way. We were, I think, we were in some ways we were just so kind of like in a in a small box, boxed in. And I think people have had different experiences. They've been forced to work out, like you said, at home. And you know what? Not bad. You know, they adapted. They actually like kind of enjoyed it, and they've committed to creating their own space now. Yep from a longevity perspective, right, right. people are doing, you know, for, for the folks that are like, I would never do a, a virtual workout. Right. The gym's my place or whatever it may be. And now they're like, because you have to do it. Cause it's the only thing that's, you're exposed to it and like not bad. And, and I think that, well, you know, we're going to, once we get through this, it's it, the, you know, the new normal we keep saying that, I hate to even say that, but like, it's going to be different. And I think more folks have been exposed to different ways of training that it's kind of opened up the opportunities for people and I do think that the the landscape for the industry is going to have to change, and some of the more traditional, you know, dare I say, like big box ways that I think are going to struggle to mm, to yeah. retain the, the 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 members that they once had when this is done at those really, you know, high, just all the all the absorbent costs that go into running that kind of a business. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen you know the bankruptcies and the challenges. So you know, it's I hate it for them. My heart goes out. These are great trainers and, and great ideas that just we're at this pivotal point in history where. I think it's going to be a challenge in some ways to, to ever resume that to the, to the capacity that it was.
1: But there's still the connection with the virtual, and this is where Peloton, it would be, all right, we're recording you, the trainer, and then I'm going to record that and then put it out to 1,000 people. Where I get the opportunity to experience one of the sessions lead, in June mm-hmm. leading up to your summit, and... You had your person, they had this their beautiful little gym setup that was in camera view yep. within their apartment or garage. I don't, I'm not sure what it was. But then they were able to click on the, the people's names and then push and motivate and watching and coaching. So then I, on the Zoom call, could see the, the other participants within there and seeing their setup because I was curious. And I made the mistake of grabbing the 70s
5: <laughs> on the CB uh, Center Mass Bells. Yeah, why Just, not? Just I'm grab the strong. heavy ones. I'm you, you be fine. form day. This is form day. And next yeah. thing you know, you're like 400 reps in. You're like, oh, these are too heavy. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, my boot camp experience is minimal. So I, I had a quick gut check Dude. within there.
5: <laughs> my only boot camp experience was uh, when we when I owned a uh, CrossFit gym, one of their trainers had this kind of like mommy boot camp. And uh, she did it down by the beach. And like I lived kind of close to there and ended up uh, kind of just doing a drive-by and going and checking it out. And it was moms literally, like, lifting their strollers, running around in circles. Like, it was... uh, She had, like, ten moms out there, and there were babies in the strollers, and these moms are, like, you know, shooting in, like, putting the kid out, lifting it. And I'm thinking, like this is insane. Like the fact like, uh, and there was community, they went and they got coffee. And I just remember thinking like, if we can get these people in the gym, like they're, you know, we have daycare, we can do something. Mm-hmm. But I think that there was something about the whole thing. Maybe like the functional fitness aspect of being able to lift your stroller and your kid. And it was, um, she asked me, she's like, what do you think? I'm like, I think it's great. Just like, just keep doing it. Uh, it, it was definitely eye opening Cause I, you know, um, as a former NFL player, like I'm kind of an elitist in some ways with this stuff, and I'm like, I can't believe this is fitness. This is what people do. Where's the monolift? lift? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like you know, where's all this? And so it, it's pretty interesting. And um, we've since, uh, you know, and I've given uh, or I've given this talk numerous times, where uh, you know, like CrossFit, their big thing was they, uh, they defined fitness. And the problem is, is you can't define fitness because it's so personal to everybody. And so a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. of increased work capacity, broad-time modal domains, which is a self-serving definition of fitness for CrossFit, uh, is 100% not accurate because fitness is personal to everybody. The fitness that I needed as an NFL player and the strength and the capacity, mm-hmm. all that, was specific here, whereas these moms and what they were doing for fitness and what everybody is doing in your, you know within your boot camp and within the training, everybody's there for a different reason. Like the commonality is the community aspect. Uh, but like, if you were to ask everybody, like, what's your definition of fitness? For some people, it's being able to walk upstairs. Other people, it's run a hundred miles. So the problem comes down to if you can define fitness as the individual, and that's something that I always talk to people. Like, strength is relevant; it, it is pretty accurate. Like, hey, four hundred pounds is four hundred pounds. But fitness is this kind of constantly moving target. So as you get out there, and I think what's so interesting about having the variety of trainers and the different training programs and everything you guys offer is that people can kind of plug in and be like, hey. This is, this speaks to me. This is my fitness experience. I want this person to take me on this journey. And I think like, um, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's pretty amazing because people need it. I mean, if it was simple, everybody would just do it and we wouldn't have a business. But I think we've seen the need and people want it and they're hungry for it. So true. Uh, I love that. I never quite thought about it on those terms,
3: but I think you're right. Trying to define fitness and, and begin to kind of box it in is probably a, a huge challenge strategic mistake because everybody has their own, like you said, version of it. And and I even noticed that, like, you know, if, if somebody signs up for Camp Gladiator, we're, you know, we're on it quickly to meet them, introduce ourselves, and ask just the simple basic questions, you know, why? Of all the things you could do, why are you here? And the answers, you know, are, are, so many different options or uh, just answers from what it means to them while they're doing it. You know, rarely are people saying, I shouldn't say rarely because it does happen, but, like, as much as our our program is kind of community based in a lot of ways and that's kind of in some ways like our secret sauce through great workouts and great programming you know most people aren't coming and saying well i'm just trying to meet people and i'd love to be part of a community that happens occasionally but most folks are there to you know what from a results perspective we actually just learned recently and i was really amazed by this answer So remember i said earlier that you know convenience convenience was really driving the the number one value for why they were doing it recently we had we had kind of learned through some camper polls and surveys that it was, it's about accountability they want the accountability mm-hmm. and and what the fitness looks like could, could could differ here and there but like you just said john if everybody could do it then they you know we wouldn't have a business um but people need the push they need the accountability mm-hmm. uh you know as as Jocko said you know motivation's flaky it's yeah. discipline and now you get the trainers in your corner and your and that's what's great is it through the community, Mm -hmm. it's not just up to the trainer. Mm -hmm. You have other people involved in that relationship to say, hey, we miss you, where you been. Yeah. You know, so.
5: Well, that's the, um, I I think what's so missed at like the Globo gyms, because they're faceless, people don't talk, they put on headsets. I used to train up at the Gold's Gym up here uh, when when we were building this before we finished our spot. And uh, it was weird to me to walk in and see nobody speaking, everybody wearing headphones, like nobody interacting, like one dude going to bench and he's like nervously looking around. And I was like, "You need a spot?" He was like, "I do." I'm like, "You can ask." And the guy like, "Well, everybody's got headsets on." I'm like, "Well, I don't have a headset on." Like I like it's uh, it was really interesting to like see the dynamic and it was so uh, like weirdly sterile. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's the only word I got for it. Where I was like, "Man, like it, like it's just this weird sterile environment." And there was uh, it just. Like, you know, having not trained in that and then going and seeing it, I remembered, and uh, you know, why their model is so different. I mean, the model for most global gyms is sign up a whole bunch of people and hope that less than 10% should ever show right. up. And, uh, like, that's actually the opposite. When we owned the crossover, you know, gym, we wanted everybody to show up, but, the, you know, you reach capacity about 120, 150 people unless you have a massive location. But um, that's an interesting piece. Like, I wonder, and, and what's so killer about what you guys can do is it's so easy to scale. Like I constantly am always thinking like how do you scale everything? How does this thing effectively scale and looking for different ways to scale? But I mean for you guys it's like uh, as long as there's open land and there's people that are hungry and that understand the mission and can motivate and are, you know, somewhat charismatic and have the systems in place, it's kind of a limitless uh, you know, operation.
3: Yeah, and from uh and, and the trainer's the key part of that too. Like how do you scale, you know, from a trainer perspective? it's kind of interesting to me that you know, you kinda of refer to like the Globo Gyms and I'm like, you know, hey hey Luke, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Name name as many like, nationally known brand globo gyms as you can. You can rattle off probably 10 to 15 easily. But if you change the question to how many like nationally known outdoor fitness programs can you name, you're probably kind of scratching your head. And, and the idea is that like, you know, by no means did we didn't invent boot camp. There's thousands of great trainers out there in every city in America who understand that I can go out to a park locally and train some clients. And train them effectively and great, but the idea is once that once, once your people at whatever twenty bucks a session mm-hmm. taking straight cash or something gets to twenty thirty thirty five people, you start to run into some some, some business challenges <laughs> that you're, that most trainers out there are just not well suited yeah. to solve. Yeah. And that's why you just don't see a whole lot of, you know, so, you know, Camp Gladiator's thing is, hey, partner with us and let us, let us, let us be the solution for a lot of those challenges. Sure. right? The, the legal stuff, the fact that I think 20% of credit cards decline every month because, they you know, having to chase all those things down where you take this passion for fitness and impact and people and then suddenly you realize, man, if I'm going to take this thing any bigger, I've got to make a decision. I either have to stay small because it's comfortable and that's what my, or if I'm going to get bigger, I've got to get some help. I've got to get some support that either I don't, I don't have the know-how to do or I don't have the the money to outsource that. And that's where I think a lot of boot camp structures across the nation just stay small and stay stuck at their 10 to 20 people and do great things. But scaling that to your point, you know, we've only been able to do it because we have a lot of, we have a lot of help. And that's the whole point. Like, take the support structure from the 80 plus employees who every day go to work to help offload some of those things and be experts in those areas so that you can be kind of boots on the ground in the trenches, you know, still marketing and selling in your local community um, and training. But, you know, I just think it's interesting. We, we, at the end of the day, we're providing this support and resources and, and expertise to help take that, that passion for fitness in your community outdoors and allow trainers to grow and expand. To, and we've got a guy here in Austin who's you know, 400-plus campers that are you know, yeah. technically kind of he's serving, not all at once, not at one camp, but it's allowed him to, to scale a business beyond anything he ever could have done on his own.
2: So sticking with the trainers... Um, I'm going to use the term technical in terms of, like, I guess, like, you know, the physiology, sets, reps type stuff. So what type of technical training or evolution does does a trainer typically, um, are they subjected to as they become a, like, indoctrinated in Camp Gladiator? Like, are, is there a focus on that, or is it predominantly the, like, more the business side of things? Go
4: so it's, it's definitely both, um, and I can speak from personal experience. I remember starting with CG, um, they were very clear that like, this is a business um, and that you have to wear a lot of hats. You have to be good at the marketing and the, the finances and, and all that kind of stuff, but we, you also have to be a trainer, right? Which, and I, and I can only speak for myself. I think a lot of people maybe get into fitness or being a trainer because they like fitness, right? Um, and so you have to be a certified trainer, um, so that's that's one place that we start. Um, and then as a part of the process of becoming uh, a trainer, you're attending workouts. Um, we have a what we call academy, um, where we're touching on the technical aspects of, of what we're doing. Um, but within that, there's, there's still a lot of autonomy. Um, and when we look at broadly, if we have, let's say, 100,000 campers, general fitness, right? General population fitness. Um, they want to be faster. They want to be stronger. They want to move better. There's a lot of different ways to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trainers do have a lot of autonomy with what they're doing throughout our, our four-week cycle. Um, Mason, you want to carry on with that? Yeah,
3: I mean, it's just, it, it's what we, you know, you mentioned Summit earlier, that you came to our Summit event, and it's our kind of mid-year conference. We have our end-of-year conference called CG Next, literally happening next week. Both virtual this year um, and, and we have some other kind of programs throughout the year. Uh, Cody and I get a chance with some of our other kind of product team to basically teach and educate the new folks that are coming in. We call that academy um, and I would come down from Dallas and we'd get on the stage for three hours and kind of take them through the the foundation of our cG product or experience but that that's like three hours mixed in with two other two full days worth of just Content that's more focused on the business side as well, so we're trying to get this holistic approach, this thirty thousand foot view of all the intricacies and the nuances around like what it takes to be successful in this business, and um, kind of answer your question. You know, the the actual nuts and bolts of programming a workout is is just a small portion of that because it's just so much, and it doesn't stop there. That's just that's like the entry level. It continues on. You know, Summit is really largely focused. Like eighty percent of what we're saying. And the content provided in that two-day workshop is around how to, how to make our CG trainers the best trainers they can be. Mm-hmm. You know, smart programming, understanding uh, better how to create an experience that's going to have people feel welcome and, and want to come back and get results, train safely, train smart, mm-hmm. but also have just amazing experience where they just they want to talk about it because it was just so fun and different and unique. So we, we invested a lot of time into that as well as, um, I mean, really there's, there's what we call now a product department which Cody and I are a part of with some other great, super talented folks who are really passionate about this that, you know, it took us a long time. A lot of that was being kind of done over the years between, you know, Allie and and myself and some others. But we finally kind of grew up enough as a company to, like, actually have a department technically on paper that's focused on that. Isn't that amazing? Uh, It was just kind of being done on the side of our desk for so long. And so we're proud of that. And we get a chance to, like, really lean into, okay, it's simple. How do we make these trainers amazing at what they're doing? Um, And so that's a lot of fun.
2: Can you? Would you mind sharing maybe like where are the deficiencies with some of these trainers? And because I know we do have gym owners and trainers and coaches who are who are listening to this. And one of the things I learned early on and brought to the group um, when I started traveling around is uh, we would we would interface primarily with CrossFit gym owners who loved the nuts and bolts of programming Mm -hmm. and physiology, and then uh, also. John and Raph, who created the seminar, very nuanced in that. And what I realized is these guys, John and Raph, at this seminar would bring such star power. I mean, listen to the guy. He's great. Like, I-, I went to the seminar. I'm like, these guys are awesome. And when I realized that John wasn't there and Raph weren't there, like it was just me and McQuokin, we'd have to learn how to create that experience as well because the information is just one piece of the show. People are are drawn to that experience and that's why they'll stay or return or they become loyal to the brand so how are you teaching these folks who may be passionate about just like the fitness side of it like what do they need to do to create that experience to get people to come back feel welcome to feel to become indoctrinated to their their particular camp
3: that's a great question um so we have a process right not not everybody that says hey i want to be a trainer can just be a cg trainer
5: there's a You mean I just can't buy, like, buy a $10 yeah, stamp yeah. online, and next thing I know I get to have this cool thing on my hat? Exactly. I remember, yeah. I remember my first job was I was a Bennigan's host, and I'm like, okay, I fill oh, out an application. How, yeah, much, yeah, how much bling did you have? <laughs> well, <player> shot, <laughs> player, oh, flair, John. Oh, flair, flair, I'm yeah, sorry. 27 pieces. Sorry. You know who else said flair? Nazis. Uh, <laughs> but I remember,
3: like, you know, fill out the application, have my interview with the manager, and I'm like, okay, your first day is next week. It was not like that. And I always, always kind of joked that if that was our process, then... That would not show a lot of care for you or for our customer base, right? Not a lot of pride in our brand and high standards for that. So it takes, oh, by the way, we're also very team-based, um, very team-based, you know, um, in terms of like the opportunity to get to know Cody, to work with him. That's different for me because I'm in Dallas. He's in Austin, but, you know, Cody's a part of a team here in Austin that's, you know, kind of led by a by a, a area director who focused on making that group of individuals be as the most effective they can be in that area to impact as many lives in that area. So whatever that kind of territorial geography is, you know, so the point is, is that we have this process. It probably takes, you know, 10, 12 weeks, maybe on average for somebody from like, okay, I'm interested. Let me talk to somebody, let me apply. And then you pass them off to that director I mentioned to kind of onboard them and take them through the process. But you know, it, it it's a weed out process too. It's got to feel right for them. It's got to feel right for us. It goes from like this theoretical idea of, okay, I see what you're doing I, I want to do what you do. That's great. Well, now let's like kind of start to wade into the water of what it really feels like to do that. Um, there's a, uh, an audition to, I mentioned Academy, you go to Academy, there's, you get a lot of information. You also have to kind of audition. So we get a chance to watch you now run a, you know, 10 minutes or so of a workout to get an idea for some of the things you said, you know, what's the, I mean, it can't be boring, right? It cannot, it's hard to sell boring. And, and it's an interesting experience too, John, because like it's amazing we, we used to have a guy on our our team a long time ago who was he was a cg trainer but he was also training for uh you know a globo gym put it that way and that, that's fine by the way trainers can do that with camp gladiator but he said hey you know just you guys might kind of find this is funny i was at our like monthly globo gym meeting with all the trainers and the whole time we just talked about how can we compete with camp gladiator and i'm like that's amazing because we're talking about like a multi-million dollar facility with all this amazing stuff and and big screen TVs on the treadmill and all the cool stuff. And you're trying to figure out how to compete with a a school parking lot and a stack of cones, right? right? More eucalyptus.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More eucalyptus.
6: Yeah. And I just
3: thought that was amazing to me. Eucalyptus oils in the towel is the secret to having a good gym. And it really talks about what you say. Like it really is creating this experience. So, you know, that whole process, like together and spending time to make sure like beyond just the initial interview, Hey, this is feeling right. And there, there's, you know, there's, um, we're kind of aligned on these things and this feels good and we're and we're a big team, right? So you want to kind of protect the team. I don't know if you, I'm sure you have many of examples and in, in you're in the NFL of whatever, free agency, some guy coming into your locker room when you had this great culture and kind of, you know, cohesion and then some guy comes in and maybe doesn't align with that and it kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's a, it threatens that, or there's just some weird yeah, friction. It's that ha- culture
5: fit, you yeah. know, like, um, dude, are, are the people you're bringing in culture fit? Absolutely. I mean, you can see it right now with uh, you know Tampa Bay. What's going on with Brady and Bruce Aarons and uh, bringing in um, uh, AB, yeah, um, Antonio Brown, and like, you know, like it, that team is in turmoil, and you can kind of see it. Uh, just like you watched the Patriots last night, who are obviously in a turmoil, and you see culture fit. It, I mean, it affects it's, the end product. Yeah, and, I mean, and we want you to have honor
3: that. We have, yeah. we have a team, and yeah. and so. There's all those things that go into it,
5: um, in, in addition to like, you can have, you do this on the field? If you have, um, and this is what you guys have done, you've created this ethos, you've created this image of Camp Gladiator, you have this like hierarchy and like, you know, uh, almost like mission statement, and people have to fall within it. You bring in somebody that's not a culture fit, it's really easy to identify. And at the end of the day, like even if you do find somebody who's not a culture fit, it's not going to hurt you because they'll end up weeding themselves out because you guys have such a, a firm grasp of your ideals. You know what you're doing. You know the mission, and everybody that's not bought in just kind of just probably gets pushed to the side. Either you you know you get on and this is the way we're going, or you go find it and do Barry's boot camp.
3: Yeah, I think that, I think that's broadly true uh, because it's so strong, and that's what. And that's what makes what we do exciting, but also really challenging. Because mm-hmm. it was just about training trainers how to kind of do the nuts and bolts of programming, cake. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to like teach people how to again create that culture, be a great teammate. Um, I mean, there's a lot of just within Camp Gladiator, just you know, like professional development that we do as well. And so it's big and it's challenging, but it's also fun. And I think that's what that's what makes it really challenging. When it, like to find the the really like the prototypical CG trainer, it's way more than just the nuts and bolts and it's way more than just being the big rock star on the field that can take a parking lot and convert it into this magical thing for 60 minutes there's a lot of layers there and that, what that it, what keeps are you pretty layers? busy
2: like do, do you have do you have a prototypical trainer like if someone's listening to this and you know what are the five attributes of a like camp gladiator all-star
5: what do you who do you have to be to be that's the a next great question hmm that's a really good question Six foot four, two hundred and twenty five pounds. I'm, I'm out I'm already out. Uh, <laughs> four really good beard like like Cody's. I'm so uh, jealous. You know. So you're talking about my it's, grandma? He's, he's got a great beard. Mine can like, patchy guy. on the sides, which is why I never we, we, I would just keep the mustache. We were on a podcast uh the other day, and the guy like just all of a sudden he's like Look at your mustache, and the guy like. Was I like,
2: ended the call, podcast, and that was it. We all yeah. went and got pizza, and he's like, "Oh, look, dope? look, I
5: got this great mustache." And the guy's like, "I can't grow one, but God, look, look at what a strong mustache it was." And I'm like, "These, these guys are like remnants from November. They haven't shaved.
2: <laughs> it's so
5: scrappy. It's got to be
2: like the blurry webcam. You know what I mean? It just makes it look so much better." But uh, no, I was, I was curious if, if you know, internally you go, "Okay, we need, we need a high level of professionalism, charism, charisma." um, <laughs> They need to look the part, uh, you know.
3: I, I'm just kind of making things up on, know, on right. our end. We, Cody, we actually have the answer to this.
4: We, we do. We call it our trainer DNA. We do. And uh. th- there's, there's, there's 10 of them, so maybe we cover a couple. Maybe not all 10, sure. but maybe yeah. we dip Can't into can Can't give five. away <laughs> the
2: secret recipe. Right.
4: <laughs> um, but you bring up professional, which is, I mean. It's one of them. If you're interacting with 50, 60, 100 people a day, um, you want to be professional. You want to be warm. You want to. Don't
5: send your clients dick pics. Ever.
6: That, was, that to me. <laughs> no. Uh, like
5: as, is that power athlete uh, protocol as well? First of all, that's power, <laughs> that's power athlete protocol, but that was like my, my deal in, uh, in the gym. I'm like, first of all, don't sleep with your clients and don't yes. send anybody dick pics. Yes. But how do you guys kind of judge when you bring people in being like, ah, uh, something ain't right with this dude's curl?
3: Yeah. Again, I, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. This is why, like, leadership is so important, right? Because otherwise you have, you know, when we started so early, I mean, it was just, it was like a handful of people. And we were so close to the kind of the source of this idea, Jeff and Allie. And they were so involved. But as you grow and grow and scale and scale, that's not sustainable. You know, there's a thing called span and control. Not everybody can report directly to Jeff and Allie, right? Like, which is the source in this case. Um, and so you have to do that through other people and through kind of your leaders to be an extension of this idea that started 12 years ago to make sure that now as we go try to plant the flag in, you know, wherever Virginia, that the product that happens there is is not unrecognizable from what how it started right Mm -hmm. and we've just and that's why we we do invest a lot of time i mean whether it's through our leadership or some of our programs our events i mean when you go to our next and summit yeah there's all the product stuff and how to grow business and i mean there's also the the personal development and the mindset and by the way we have core values and Mm -hmm. you have to kind of keep talking about those things because again we're dealing with people and people are amazing but they're also challenging and you can get into some of those really you know, those situations you described to where suddenly like so much is at jeopardy. So much your brand can be just tarnished mm-hmm. because of the reckless actions of one person. And so there's like, there's this, it's weird. There's a certain sense of trust of like even going through our processes, which we spend, and that's why we don't rush anything. That's why we're not going to have an interview and say, great, here's a shirt you start next week. Hope it goes well. I'll check in in six weeks. It's very relational. It's very close. That's why it's all around the team and the leader. And there's a lot of communication. And it's not like micromanaging. It's just, we care about these things that really matter and that if we don't get them right, they're gonna ultimately become obstacles and challenges to the growth that we want to experience to impact a lot of people through this program because trainers are doing things they shouldn't do. And then suddenly in some small town in East Texas, I love my East Texas, it's an example. It could be anywhere. Um, you know, our, our, <laughs> no our things ever happened in yeah, East Texas. Yeah, no, they're amazing. But our brand is trashed mm-hmm. and, and that's that's scary stuff. And that's why, again, uh, you know, I think our, our trainers have to Hopefully, appreciate or be brand protectors. That's right. That's yeah, right. For sure. yeah, like you're an extension of
5: it. Yeah, they're partners in your brand, and they're brand protectors. And like, if all of a sudden, you know, they go and they do something that you know negatively affects them and negatively affects the brand, then you're like, you know, like the we, like there is no sorry. Like you get one chance. And, uh, you know, but also being able to have enough screening process. Like, it feels like you guys have a pretty thorough screening process and, like, a big understanding of culture that when people get into it, they probably realize, like, oh, this isn't for me. Great. Well, if you think about, like, our profession as a whole,
4: we get to show up to work, to work, right, in sweatpants and a T-shirt. And that's kind of brand standard. We don't get the suit and tie um vision or allure of of professionalism if that makes sense um and so just on my team specifically one way that we um determine if somebody is a good fit cultures value and whatnot professionalism um and i'm sure y'all have heard this is the the two beers and a puppy rule is this somebody who you would sit down and go have two beers with and would you let them watch your puppy on the weekend and so that's, that's just a, you know, a, a litmus test of, is this somebody that might be a good fit? Just kind of at one of the initial interactions that we have with them or over the course of um, their onboarding process. And it, that's just one, that's one very small element of it. But again, it goes to, are they going to protect the brand? Are they going to represent all of CG trainers well? Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so I guess in terms of creating a recognizable brand experience across the country, globe. Probably,
3: absolutely, but
2: maybe universe. Not
3: yet, but that's the goal.
2: Okay. Um, How do you balance autonomy and like a standard brand experience? Because if coaches do have a a degree of autonomy over the programming, I can see a slippery slope there. Where some next thing you know, you know, Texas is a CG trainer. You show up and there's four monoliths and barbells (laughs) and like you know med balls in a sand pit, and you're like. I've never seen this
5: at uh, any other CG. But that could happen. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I think that what, what you guys have done is allowed people to have their creativity within the training space. I'm sure you've parameters set up, like, hey, it needs to be outdoors, like, uh, you know, it needs to be you know, uh, you know, viable for multiple people. Can it be scalable? And you probably set those parameters up, and then you really just focus on the person's creativity, and if they want to bring out fucking 25 monoliths well, and just have thinking. people squat heavy 1RMs, like, that's a logistic. They're going to need a forklift, but they're going <laughs> to need a big flatbed, and they're going to need, uh, you know, people to rack and change the weights. But if you're
2: in Tampa, John, hit hitting- five sessions a week for you know for the past 12 weeks and then you're like oh you know i'm going to travel see my cousin in austin oh McQuilkin has it i'm going to sign up for McQuilkin's camp gladiator you're showing up expecting to have that similar experience that you had in tampa and then next thing you know you're well they they mentioned the the,
1: the four week cycles Mm -hmm. so i think this is a good time we've name dropped it now what are the four weeks how does it break down that builds into the autonomy for the trainer
4: yeah so four weeks um it's essentially, there's there's certainly a customer-facing element to this and then there's an internal trainer-facing element to it. Um, so the outward-facing four-week cycle is we have endurance week, um, which is the basics, the fundamentals. Um, we transition into strength and agility week, then interval week, and then we call it peak week, which if you're an NPC physique competitor, that is not tilapia. And asparagus, right? And brown rice. And peak brown. week is
2: also what I called, whenever uh, I had a bachelor party coming up, it was the week leading up to the bachelor party. It was peak uh, week. There
4: you go.
5: <laughs> what? I'm peaking text. i text? peaking, Tex. I thought peak week was just on the weekend. You're yeah, like, yeah, week. yeah, yeah, Saturday and Sunday is my peak week. <laughs> I can only peak for two days, so there's my week.
2: Yeah, those were the days, John. Now it's like... Maybe thirty minutes of peaking and then I'm well, out for a week. Uh, yeah, but here's
5: the thing: <laughs> he's got five kids. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like uh, you got one kid. I got three kids, and I'm like, I'm imagining five. But I was thinking, like, maybe when by the time you have five, you're probably just so tired that it doesn't matter if it's if it's five or ten. They raise
1: themselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was Tyson.
2: Raise. So Tyson Shumway is like, no, the fourth one took care of the the fourth or the the first one took care of the fourth one. So it's really only like three kids. That's what his advice was. Cody, uh, so you mentioned
5: Lord of the Rings. It's, it's basically Lord of the Flies in my house <laughs> all the time. So one of my buddies called me. Uh, this is uh, my buddy, Matt, who's in Oregon. Um, they have three daughters, and his wife is trying to convince him to try number four for the boy. And I was like, but you could be the dad with four daughters. He's like, well, then I'm going to be the Johnny dad. Mabe. He's like, then I'm going to be the dad with four daughters who's trying to get a boy on the fifth. Yeah. He, and I'm like, so where's Good this going to end? And he's like, I, I think we're going to just go until we can cap it on the backside with the boy. <laughs> he's a boy. And he's a Russian dude and his wife's Russian. Um, you know, uh, obviously not first generation, but they still you know, they speak Russian in the house. And so I was like, well, how are the kids? He's like, well, I got a ballet dancer and then I got a brute. And I'm like, for your daughters? What about the other one? He's like, oh, we're hoping that she doesn't be a brute. And I'm like, he's like, they are Russian. They're either ballet dancers or they look like somebody working in the fields. <laughs> uh, dude, I was in tears. I was like, dude, this is killing me. And he's like, and then he, he got quiet. He's like, I think my wife's listening. Hold on, let me go outside.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And he he lives out. They, they have a property out in Oregon. And I, I knew him from Southern California. He was a cop, hurt his back. And they... Um, medicaled him out, and then I did his rehab. You know, you'll never be able to do anything again, and within, like, Mm. three months' time, he was fine and could have gone bad into active, but they'd retired him. So now he does EP and a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, pretty amazing that, uh, um, yeah, the, like, just that conversation, and I remember thinking, like, could we have had five kids? We would have had to start earlier, but uh, I definitely think it it would have been... I I got to give
3: props to my parents. Uh, So I'm one of six, all boys, all boys. So you just never know
5: what you're gonna get. Uh, I guess their time for the girl didn't what's, happen. What's the breakout on uh, boys and girls for you? Uh, one one son, four daughters. So I have a theory because uh, I got two daughters and a boy. I have a theory that each girl's equal to about three boys, more or less. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so so like that uh, conversion roughly works. Yeah. Out. yeah. So so like two girls and a boy would be like the equivalent of having four boys because like it it's, it just feels like the girls are like a lot more just like, need managing, whereas, like, I kind of look, at my son's outside, like, you know, I walked outside, and he takes a piss. I'm like, oh, all right, well, it kind of
3: works out. It's also interesting, you know, because, you know, they're all so different. Yeah. They're all their own people with their own proclivities and, and temperament and just personality traits, and, you know, even some of the girls are just a little bit more independent and, and self, um, whatever, entertaining, and they're just, they're in their own little world, and they're just all so unique. It's it's wild. Um, mm. My sons—they're all amazing. They're great. My son is definitely—we always joke that he's either going to be, you know, the most amazing husband or never get married. One of the two, because he's
6: just—he's
3: <laughs> <laughs> just surrounded by girls. You know, it's just it's he and dad, and otherwise we're, we're the minority in that household.
5: Is he a uh, um, is he a big cuddly kid? Um, yeah, he is. So, I'd say more so than probably not. So what's crazy is uh my daughters like are like not nearly as cuddly as like my son will like come over and just randomly hug you. Yeah. Whereas like it's so weird, like uh you know, I would think that would be more for the girls. Whereas I sometimes think the girls are like maybe fighting for some independence earlier. Mm-hmm. Whereas he's like just comes over and they will like hug, hug like want to hug, and I'm like, Oh, this is kinda nice. And I'm like, Well, I said my, my daughters I'm like, what about hugs for you? And they're like, Oh, I don't want to hug. Mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, <laughs> maybe later. It's funny. That makes me think, because that's,
3: you know, if you've ever uh, somewhat associated or understand like the idea of the love languages, you've yeah. ever heard of that mm-hmm. before. And uh, physical touch is, is for sure mine. By the way, it's not my wife's. <laughs> and so there's always this friction there. Oh, you know? yeah. oh, yeah. She's acts of service. I'm like, please, I, you don't have <laughs> to wash my car. Can we just, can we just, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> to each other for a minute, please. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for me as a, as a dad, though, like that's what I get. It just fills my cup. I get so much. You know the cuddle time and the, and the kind of wrestling time sure. with with my son and my girls. It's just all that physical touch is so fun and it's and it's just great and it's so rewarding because I do have one of my daughters who's just not that's not her thing, you know. And so I've got to kind of figure out how to connect in a different way because I don't have that just foundational like just touch time, whether it's cuddling, watching a movie, wrestling around, or just hanging out, or just I need a hug. Come over here.
5: My kids want to wrestle like all the time. They're like, so uh, the problem though is that we have a Tempur Pedic, so it's kind of bouncy. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Like it, like I should set pillows up because what happens is like we'll wrestle we will like push one, one will bounce, it <laughs> just totally falls off. Like like it it it's almost a hundred percent that somebody's gonna get hurt and cry if we wrestle. So like now I'll do like wrestling moves and I will like slam them and hold on to them and like now and they like bounce once before I used to just let them go and they would be like shoot off and I'd be like oh shit I'm gonna totally get yelled at on this one. <laughs> oh, that's nice. like the that's like the blob from uh, is it heavyweights? Oh yeah, right. Oh, John's I've never on one. Uh, I've never seen heavyweights. God, I, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Fitness so, trainers. Like, so there was a huge problem. Like we had twins, and uh, in 2011, and like all of a sudden uh, the world just disappeared for about two years. Like I didn't see any movies. I didn't look watch any TV. Really, like there was just this whole part of my life got erased for a couple years with the twins. And like so, like these movies. I'm like, what year was that? Oh, it's 2011. Yeah, I didn't see it. Oh, like 2012. Yeah. Oh, that's, I didn't that's
3: see for it. sure. I haven't seen a movie in a theater in. I don't know how long. It's just not not that season of life for me. Mm. I miss a lot of them.
5: Well, the new Wonder Woman movies coming out, but they're showing it on like HBO at home, but the movies right. and like that. Like the kids saw the preview. They're like, Dude, can we go to the movie? I'm like, we can watch it at home. They're like, we want to see it in the movie. I'm like, let's do it. Let's go. Mm. I'm game to go.
2: So Mason, mm-hmm. going back to the family and kids. I mean you're embedded obviously in fitness as a profession and lifestyle and passion has that permeated the home life as well like is there a a is that a core value of of your family <laughs> Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? This is Luke. Before we get going any further, I want to announce to you that we are offering the chance of a lifetime. We have the gift that just keeps on giving and that's right at the power athlete shop if you purchase a gift certificate of 75 dollars or more you will automatically be entered to win a life-changing coaching experience from john wellborn tex mcquilkin and the power athlete block one coaching network well in excess of three thousand dollars the package includes a 360 degree initial assessment 10 live coaching sessions custom programming custom nutrition to support your training and your goals this is life-changing you can take it and you can use it or hey maybe you give this as a gift so ladies and gentlemen if you want to learn more about what we have going on winners are going to be announced on christmas so head to the link in the show notes or go to pahq.co miracle back to it
3: good question um well, i got, I got to probably give some credit to my wife, Crystal, because she's, she's a rock star, obviously. I've I'm, I'm, spent so much time uh, focused on like kind of being the primary breadwinner and just CG as we're just growing and growing. and So she's there, and she's the rock uh, in so many ways of just the family dynamics and getting the kids out to school and all those things. But uh, to kind of come full circle to your question, she loves CG. She's been a part of it since the beginning, more or less. Uh, she's been um, approached many times by me and other, you know, trainers even though, well, becoming a trainer because she's just, you know, been a part of the product for so long and she's great and she's in great shape and she's super strong. Y'all, be, y'all would love her. She's she's strong. Like genetically, just God made her to be a strong person. Um, so right now for virtual, she's my fitness demo model, you know? And so uh-huh. she's like, it's, yeah. it's, at the end of the workout, she's always like, hey, by the way, it's, it's never about me. It's like, Krista was amazing. She's like, what about, I? that was kept out of my brain. I I said 10,000 words. She just <laughs> did lunges and and you know, whatever. Renegade rows in the back, but but she is what's really neat is that you know as the as she is there with the kids and I'm working and maybe I'm traveling, especially the young ones. Like that she would take them to the outdoor workout and they're little sometimes in a stroller and, and older and they're just playing and they're hanging out, and she's doing her workout uh, at a mid morning where well, there's lots of moms, by the way, maybe some strollers involved. Not in the workout, but like you know strollers are there. And I remember, you know, one of the trainers especially was like, she's inspiring because it's such a no-excuses thing for her. Like, anybody's like, ah, I don't have time or I can't get there. I just don't want to. And she's literally thinking out how to squeeze. Like, she's packing all the kids up in our mat. We we drive a a Ford Transit, 12 passengers, basically airport shuttle is our primary. Well, five kids. I mean, there's... She she packs them in. There's nobody that has a seven-seater. Yeah, exactly. We just, the Suburban was not approaching anymore. She gets them there. She unloads them, hauls her weights and her mats and all kids, and she's, you know, setting up on the tennis court where the location is, and they're running around and running crazy. But like, you know, she can do it. What, what, what's the problem, right? So it comes back to that kind of ability and having somebody that. But my point is, that they got to, they get a chance to grow up seeing that, and that's so powerful because, um, you know, my parents. I love I love them, but I never I never saw my mom work out. I think I can a few times where I saw my dad work out because he probably got some bad news from the doctor. But I did not grow up like, with parents who I saw kind of modeling that for me. And it's really neat. We've talked about that in CG. like that, That's very commonplace to go to, especially the mid-mornings, where parents are bringing their kids out. And, you know, they're not a distraction. They're there doing their own thing. And, um, but for the, for the kids to just grow up saying, like, okay, that's just what you do. You know, you work out, and you, stay, you stay healthy, and you stay fit. Um, and to model that at a young age, I think, is really powerful. And that's kind of a way that we recognize that, wow, we are already kind of having some influence on the next generation. Mm-hmm. Who's seeing their parents work out and then one day we'll have their own income and be adults and work out with cg hopefully right and kind of getting them into the culture in that way as well so i don't know if that answered your question or not but, the, but i think chris was a big key as far as our, our family values and fitness because they get a chance to watch her do it at a young age um and in some ways they probably associate mom with fitness more than they do me
5: mm. Mm. interesting no i mean it's uh you know like we said fitness is personal uh, but the one thing that's true and we've noticed this for years is that um children watch by learning Mm. so I mean what becomes important to the parents and I mean part of the reason we have a building full of weights and my wife trains and the kids come up and like they see that they know that like you know this is what we do this is how we handle these things and I think when that becomes the the norm then that becomes just this is what we do and I think that that's such an easier conversation than trying to have that conversation in your 30s absolutely I mean I'm sure you guys do that all the time where people are like I've never worked out and you're like what do you what do you mean you've never worked out this is brand new to you? Well, let's come. Well, let's go.
3: I've got one more small example. We've got a, we've got a rope. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy. I don't have the, uh, like, as far as I'm not wired for, for the absolute strength so much, but the relative strength. I've always been able to manage my body weight well, I'm, you know, rope climbing. My son's just like me, gonna be small, but he's an amazing climber. He's park monkey at least. We've, we've always, <laughs> both houses, we've had a rope hanging from a tree, you know. Nice. And just, you know, climbing the rope. And so all my kids have been able to just work their way up that rope with, with relative ease over time. But I use that sometimes as a consequence. Hey, you're in trouble. I need the rope five times and 10 push-ups in between each rope climb. Or sometimes it's like, I want to play video games, Dad. I'm like, you got to earn it. I need to see five rope climbs. And, you know, so nice. there's little ways of just integrating. Like, hey, before you go sit there and veg out and, and mm-hmm. let your brain just turn to mush, Go, uh, go, earn it first.
2: Yeah, I was talking. I was talking to my dad, John, recently because he. Un- I just learned within the past couple years because like you, Mason. I never saw him like working out, banging weights. He's never been. He's a bigger dude, but not like overweight. You know, um, but I found out that he bought like he bought weights, saved up to buy a weight set when he was like ten years old, and he's lifted weights every single day when he would wake up first thing in the morning. He'd wake up at five awesome. fifteen. He'd go do his routine and like I never knew I never knew I just saw this stuff laying around Um, and uh, where I'm going with this come on bring it back oh he's uh, you know when we were talking recently on a trip I went with him he's like I always it's rough for me to like think of this as a hobby because when I was a kid all through high school exercise was a consequence like, he was mm-hmm. punishment. He's like, and I never behave myself. So, like, he's like, it's hard for me to think that I'm going to go suffer under a barbell or on a treadmill as, like, a, and enjoy it. He's like, no, man. That's like me going to prison and eating bologna sandwiches. He's like, I, that you know, so he only took it to that, like, minimal threshold. He never hit that boiling point. You know what yeah. I mean? So, uh, I, I'm curious, like... I guess, is, could that potentially have a long-term negative consequence? No, it's a
3: great question. I kind of thought about that before I said that. I, I think we do it in doses. I do remember one time my kids were just bickering and just, I kind of hit my boiling point. And it's one of those moments where as a, as a dad, you're like, you, you say something and you're like, I don't know where I'm going with this. And I'm like, and it was late. They're already in pajamas. I'm like, get dressed. I'll meet you outside in five minutes. And they're like, just look at like, what's happening? What's happening? And I just remember I went to my garage And I loaded up, like, I had a sled, and I had, like, kind of a TRX system. And and we drove to the local elementary school. It's dark. And I'm like, you're going to work together, and you're going to push that all the way down there. It's, like, 120 yards, and you're going to pull it back. It was a tire, I think. I think I had a tire with an eye bolt and a TRX, and I put some dumbbells inside. And, uh, you know, it it immediately went from, like, bickering to, like, we got to we got to do this together. Oh. So it's kind well, of teamwork. At least they didn't start bickering at each other for like you're not helping. Yeah, this is <laughs> your fault. Yeah, but but to answer your question, yeah, I mean I, I don't abuse it for sure, yeah. and it's in doses. And I think because they are exposed to to mom and and what I'm yeah. doing, they and, see the fruitful benefits yeah, of it.
2: If there's a family component to it, you can create it to be like a positive family bonding experience as well as all right, hey. That rope, you got five more coming. I could do this all day. Six, right, six yeah, yeah.
5: seven's coming. Never use it as a threat for sure. Mm-hmm. Dude, uh, we had a deal where my kids were acting like, I'll call them little assholes. <laughs> and uh, my wife basically was like, that's it. And same deal outside. And we have that steep driveway. So made them actually run up and down the driveway 10 times. Mm. So I, I have a video uh, of my daughters and my son out there buck naked. Um, And I don't know why he's naked, but literally watching them run up and down. I don't find it that way. It's neither here nor there. Uh, Well, what's funny is like for probably about a year there, my son was like clothing optional. Mm -hmm. Like around like two, three years old. Like I'd come out and I'd be like, "Same where did your clothes go? And he'd be like, pee-pee man. Yeah, well, pee-pee man. Yeah, that was his whole deal. He'd be like, ah, pee-pee. And then he just became pee-pee man. Uh, but it's, it's, I have a video of the girls running and him like running like barefoot, naked up and down like 10 times laughing thing. It's the greatest. And I was like, these kids went from being little assholes to laughing and having the best time running or, you know, running around outside. Yeah, Get so, the
2: wiggles out, man. Yeah, well, that's right. You just,
3: you just, and i just, and I think I'm aware enough of like, okay, I know how I used to be. Get you to that point as a 10 year old boy and you just so much energy, your body can't contain it. You got to like direct that energy as a parent. And like, that's where, like, okay, bear crawls for a football field, battle <laughs> yeah. back three times.
5: <laughs> right. You'll be fine. Just get it out. And the behavior suddenly is they're just little angels. Mm-hmm. They just can't contain the energy. Dude, the guy who, uh, um, we, I, have, I have a guy that comes and makes sure, like, we have this overly elaborate uh, sprinkler system. And like, there's like a well, and like, it, it's way too much for me. So I have a dude that comes out once a month and like basically makes sure that I haven't messed anything up. So the guy was here and he was looking around. He's like, Hey, would you mind if I brought my son out here? And I was like, Yeah, like, how old is he? He's like, six years old. I just kind of want him to run around. And I was like, I was like, Well, what do you mean? Like, he doesn't run around home. He's like, Not as much as he needs to. Like, what if I just let him, like, while I'm walking, just let him run back and forth in the pasture? I was like, I love it. Bring him, like let him run, so, like dude. I'm like, so, we got weird stuff yeah, down I'll here. You'll up, find yeah. bones. See that
2: hair over there? We'll strap it to him, yeah. and make him drag it. Oh, you know?
5: I, I was like, dude, there's a creek down there. Like my kids go and like find yes. the most obscure, craziest things. I'm like, bring him, like let him run around, have do whatever you want. If you want to come out here Perfect. and kill him, you can kill him.
3: Perfect. Give him some space, let them run wild. It's not that much we're them to do, right? Maybe they get poison ivy. Ain't no big uh, deal. It heals. There,
5: two weeks. There's a lot of weird wildlife around here. Oh, yeah. um, so like on my like I, I have camps set up all over. Uh, to track the wildlife, and um, I've been, like, tracking these three coyotes that are, like, basically, like, uh, running through the perimeter, and so, like, the pigs and whatever, and so what I do is, like, when the cams go off, I go out there with uh, either, like, thermal or night vision and just light them up in the dark. But, yeah, these these coyotes are pretty funny because they, um, they'll stay in the creek, and they'll come up a little bit, but they won't stay where, I, like, within like, my line of sight very long. And I think it's their smell is so good. So they stay out there the minute I come out there, they bolt. Mm-hmm. So I was like kind of online looking. I'm like, how do you, like there's these coyote calls where it's like a speaker and it like sounds like a wounded animal and That's they call them in. Terrible sound, dude. by the way. <laughs> these <laughs> oh guys. Uh, it's nature, I, right? I, 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 like, I was watching it and these dudes had this call and these coyotes were coming in within like 15 yards of them. Oh, wow. And like, I was like, how is the coyote not here? Like, smelling, like, like what's the deal? Mm-hmm. And they were like, I guess they get so focused right, on the sound that they just forget all their other senses. And, like, I'm watching this guy. He's, like, you know, he's got a, a you know, video out, out of his thermal. So he's, like, watch. You can see it. And, like, this thing's close enough to or you can see the ears twitching. Mm-hmm. And, like, just face shots it and it drops it. And I'm, like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I love, uh, like, the, like, the hunting videos of, like, predators and pigs, like, here in Texas makes me laugh. <laughs> I get stuck in the wormhole. I'm, like, these guys killed 50 pigs. This is crazy.
3: Mm-hmm. So. Someone recently of... Like the, uh, you know, the hunting from a helicopter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Amazing. Uh,
5: what an experience. Fort Worth area, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, the, uh. I think he was down somewhere in closer. To South, to... South Texas?
3: Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. I think he was uh, somewhere on Temple, Waco-ish area, yeah. maybe. There,
5: there's the, um, the guy, there, there's a guy up in Dallas. Um, I forgot what, what his name is, but, uh, uh like a, ma, like a, like a the guy texted me because I, I asked him some questions on something. Like I shot this dude, uh, um, like it's like night vision something. So I shot the guy an email, like, hey, like this is, you know, like what would work in my environment? And the guy's like, hey, and so we started kind of texting back and forth. And he sends me a picture of this pig that they just killed, uh, 470 pounds. Dude. It was, they had it, it was bigger than the tailgate of a Toyota, and they had to load it with a front loader. And like, like they're sending me these pictures, and he's like, Yep, yeah, these are the pigs that we're encountering. I'm like, I've never seen anything that big. Mean. And, and that's up in, uh, like up in Dallas, you mm-hmm. know, somewhere up in there. I, I don't, I mean, maybe they don't get that big down here, but man, these things are huge. These are like Texas feral hogs, right? Yeah. right. So in ca- California, you get the Russian wild boars. Yeah. Right? Well, well, we have Russian wild boars here in Texas. Ah. Um, I'll show you a picture. I just shot one probably about three weeks ago. <laughs> that's like dark black Russian boars. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what they do is they get these, also the feral hogs, where their hogs that have escaped. And they're like black and white and multicolors. But man, you get these Russian hogs, like the um, those are in California as well. But man, they are so destructive. Oh, for and sure. And they um, they breed, I want to say three times a year, have like six, six, six pups. Like six offspring, and like the and the girls can start breeding at like nine months. Oh. So it's pretty like like they are absolutely like devastating. So I mean, uh, like I think my buddy's property, he's got a big lease, and uh, he'll send me these pictures, and there'll be like hundreds of pigs in these pictures, and I'm like, yeah.
3: we had uh, I was at a buddy's place, I think it was last year, and um, his ranch. It, it's it's west of Dallas, so it's in that kind of Graham area by Possum Kingdom Lake, mm-hmm. and um, they had it set up with the they had a cam, but they also had a light that was uh, green, based on movement. That's right. So it wouldn't scare them off. And we're kind of hanging out. It's late, like ten thirty, and kind of the cabin hanging out. And he gets this notification on his phone. Mm-hmm. The text him that hey, there's there's movement. It went off, and we go over there and yeah, um, have our kind of night vision. And um, there's probably twelve or thirteen. And uh, anyway, so it's like hey, three, two, one, go. <laughs> and we all you know got some, but I remember feeling very like the swing and like power. From like me having all the power on the snake attack, and then suddenly uh, there's like seven more, and they're like just noises coming at us, and like the bushes right here, and feeling very vulnerable in the dark, wow. and just like, one of them wounded, and just the the noises and the aggression, and I'm like, let's get out of here. And now, <laughs> yeah. and now I don't know where they are,
5: and they're yeah. they're around us. Yeah, no, I we didn't plan very well for that. I've uh I've come up, and there was a bunch like kind of up by our tree, and I would snuck around on them, and I uh, ended up getting one, and then I was chasing the others, and shooting at them, which is, like, as I say it out loud, sounds ridiculous. And I, like, got down, because they, they went down in the creek, and all of a sudden, like, where it's so thick, I, like, hear them down there rustling, and I'm like, okay, you guys lift. I'm going out of here. There's no way I'm, I'm following you down into this, into, like, your Not territory. Happening. No, I want an open land where I can see you coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they are, uh, like, really interesting. But, yeah, like, it's something, like, in California, like, I never really heard about. And we come out to Texas, and it's, like... Like the you know billions of dollars of land damage and like you start watching this stuff and you're like this is crazy like I like it's just yeah it's become a, a serious problem I mean that's why you can hunt them all year round and you know any way you want you can hunt them out of a helicopter you can use tannerite I mean any way you can get get rid of these things have you have you watched those videos uh, I'm familiar with them <laughs> yes oh my god they, they put tannerite <laughs> out and then like they blow and like the pigs are like <laughs> I had like it's so funny like it's so like I'm, I'm sure people are like oh these sensitive assholes but it's really funny.
2: And those people might not have a grasp of how yeah. prolific and yeah. destructive the the population that's like exponentially growing can be to yeah. the like residential areas out here. Um, I'm going to backpedal, pivot back into adult fitness. Um, Sorry. So y'all have a, carved out a very interesting and like amazing niche, in my opinion. Like it's so obvious because one of the biggest barriers right now for people who want to run adult fitness classes is like the infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Like the brick and mortar. Um, so you, you guys are thriving there, but what also is kind of popping up in adult fitness and I think is really pressing, um, that industry into that multi-billion dollars uh, growth is like the Peloton model, right? This influencer at home, like, um, high dollar equipment, um, how are y'all feeling? That pressure is that intriguing? What else is on the horizon that you might be able to will be able to share? Like, where do you see adult fitness for the general population going in the next five to ten years with the onset of the popularity of some of this stuff?
3: That's good. I, you know, maybe maybe it's wishful thinking for me, or just kind of overly optimistic. But I've always kind of held that. I think one one thing that has helped me within Camp Gladder to just feel this certain sense of security is that in an industry that tends to be uh, full of like the next thing and kind of gimmicky sometimes, you know, whatever, the infomercial selling this new, you know, magic pill, there's something really kind of just, you know, foundational and kind of pure about, okay, all, this is, you know, push-ups and shuttle runs and out using your body to create resistance to get you stronger, faster, leaner, better uh, is never, it's always been relevant, it's always been a meaningful way um, and I don't think it's ever going to go out of style. Right. It's just like, it's just foundational stuff. Uh, and then the idea of doing that together, you know, communi- communally versus like in isolation, I just, I think we're kind of, you know, create creatures by habit where we're geared towards community with others. So I think like those two things to me, like, okay. Yeah. It, and, and outdoor, I think is it, an element too. It's a hundred percent right. And so I think those three things to me, like this will always be a relevant, meaningful way to, uh, to, you know, impact people through fitness. And so I love that part of it. And then you bring in, like, the digital aspect of it. And I think what Peloton's doing is, has been amazing. And in some ways, like, we always look at competition in really, I think, a really healthy way because it just means that, hey, um, that just means, like, the market, that just shows signs of a really healthy market, right? Hey, there's more boot camps popping up. We're not worried about it. It just means that there's a really healthy percent of the market share that loves the idea of working out outside together. Great. Um, and so I think for the Peloton and the others, if the whole industry is moving that way and more and more consumers are interested in that, then that's good for us. That means we're in the right business. We have to just figure out how to do it on our, on our own terms and our way that's going to be attractive.
2: Mm-hmm. And I do look at that stuff, and it's real. I mean, man, they've done a great job yeah. uh, if, if there's... For some odd reason, a Pelotoner is listening to this podcast. Unlikely, but um, well, no, but I mean, that's it's so one-dimensional. Yeah. It's going to get boring, yeah. and like they're ultimately yeah. going to gravitate to the things that do that, like are embedded in our DNA in terms of accountability, yeah. uh, community, mm-hmm. and
4: things like
5: that. So, yeah, no, they've they've created a really good boutique experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact like the bikes and whatever, and I was kind of thinking, I'm like, man, if there was ever a conspiracy theorist. For, for COVID, it would have to be Peloton
6: <laughs> and Zoom.
5: I was like, I, I like. I mean, uh, you know, you think about like uh, Zoom and it just well, man, Amazon, Amazon, Grubhub.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, Grubhub. There, I mean, those am, are the those are the masterminds. Uh,
5: yeah, I mean, I, I heard a funny one the other day where um, somebody basically like wrote this kind of opinion piece and it was basically aimed at Jeff Bezos, where it's like you could legitimately be Santa Claus. Right? Think about it. You <laughs> have the network to deliver to everybody. You could probably do it all in one night. You have plenty of money to be able to provide the gifts. You could become the real life Santa we'll Claus. Well,
2: partner him with Google and they'll, they'll know if you're naughty or nice. They know what you're doing. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> they do. and, and, they know. and like next
5: thing you know, you got Jeff Bezos checking his list, te- checking it twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Google knows if you're naughty or nice. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, if you're good, something magically shows up. And like he has the network. He's basically built Santa's network and used Santa Claus model. Mm-hmm. I like heard that and was like, God damn it, that's really smart. So the elf on the shelf is it like a Google Home or an Alexa, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right,
2: dude. Right. Don't or even get me Facebook started on the elf on the shelf. Between Facebook and Google, they'll know if you're naughty or nice.
5: Yeah, they like yeah. Oh, your search history.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
5: You were
3: out on that. By the way, we don't do elf on the shelf.
5: <laughs> oh, <laughs> on oh, I'm hearing the, I'm hearing John's <laughs> stories. Dude, <with> this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I got a I sixteen month old. So I should have like, nipped this in the butt mm-hmm. sooner. But like uh, uh, Harry Shaw's daughter came over and they 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 have it and so like she told logan told my daughter about it so then they asked for one and my wife and i not realizing the magnitude of this commitment you're the commitment we made so we get one and it was supposed to be like the family elf but my one daughter kind of gravitated it named it and whatever and then my other daughter a year later asked for her own elf oh man and so now now we have fucking two elves is this work i don't uh, I don't have kids. Oh, I don't understand Okay, So, elf on so, <laughs> so it's these elves. So, so, like, the day after Thanksgiving, the elf shows up or whatever it is. And then, like, you put the elf in a position, and then, like, the kids go to sleep, and then you have to go, and the elf moves magically. Right. And the, it's supposed to be watching them to know, like, whether or not that they're good, and then they report back to Santa. So the problem is, is like, my wife and I will, like, lay down, and then all of a sudden, at like, two in the morning, you will be like, did I move the elves? And I'll get up and I'll move them over them. We forgot. And then the girls are like, the elves didn't move. And you're like, well, you obviously weren't good. And then you're like creating all this. I'm like, the elves only move if you're good. If you're bad, they're going to stay in the same place. And then like last night I put them. Uh, um, or in we, the fireplace? No, we put them in the bathroom, like on like the lights looking down and being like, the elves obviously know that you guys aren't brushing your teeth for the required time. So we got, like, a little, like, kind of timer thing, like a, like a little, like, a hourglass. And, like, because my one daughter will, like, put it on there, kind of go, mm, and then, like, take it off. I'm like, Dude, that was, like, two seconds. You got to at least give me a minute on that thing. So now the elves are judging them. And I'm like, hey, you guys don't brush your teeth. Elves aren't going to bring anything. You're going to get a lump of coal. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I had known where this was going to go and, like, the commitment for it, I would have, first of all, I would have not invited Harry Shaw over or his daughter. I would have given her money to not talk about these elves. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, like... And then now they sell elf clothing. No. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, no so there's clothes, and you can get different out. Al- and I'm just like... F these people. I want to find out who did this, and we're going to go and firebomb them. They're definitely on my on my naughty list. It's the
3: it's like the essence of American capitalism. It's a beautiful thing, but you get into things like that where <sighs> suddenly the elf has its own clothesline.
5: Uh, but uh, but it, it was one of those deals. And anybody listening to this who who has kids that are going to get into this, I'm telling you. Nip it in the butt and be like, get we're not out. doing the elf yet. Yeah, don't do it. Don't get sucked into this. And then my son was like, hey, where's my elf? And I was like, dude, they didn't get him till they were seven or eight years old. Like, hopefully they'll, they'll be old enough by we can just get, like, make him disappear and never come back and he'll forget about it.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: We had this
5: Santa cam
3: my mom gave me that's like a, it's an ornament, you know, totally fake ornament, sits on an old thing, says Santa cam, has this little fake, like, lens. And we put it in the room, like, hey, you know, Santa's watching. You know, he, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake behavior mechanism and i love like you know my my daughter noelle she's six she's like what about when we change clothes i'm like i didn't think about that it's a good point You're right now, now it's weird now it's an invasion of privacy it's like the <laughs> elf in the back is like wait a minute what about uh how does this work he can see me it's getting creepy uh, so her very
5: realist um, like
2: it's a smart camera it turns off that's right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: yeah no uh, santa doesn't need to see that uh, some, right. some weird old man in some other places watching me undress yeah. Oh, I, like, the, uh, the whole premise of Santa Claus, like, um, uh, like my, my one daughter's pretty sharp, and she's like, so wait a minute, there's this old guy who, like, checks in and comes into our, like, chimney and comes down and leaves presents. president so he kind of, like, breaks in the house? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, okay. If you're okay with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like and, and then I realize that this like, it's a social contract that parents have. Like, uh, it basically is teaching our kids, uh, like, everything you don't want, like, um, my daughters are nine, and uh, they were like, well, how come, uh, like, uh, they were asking about social media and getting on the internet and all that, oh, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I li- like, my daughter was like, hey, I want to play this game, so I looked at the game, and it was like some, like, I don't know, like some stupid game that, she, that like, other kids are playing, and uh, I'm like, so, so who are these people, or this, I'm like, are they all kids, are they adults, like, what is it, and she's like, what would it matter if they were adults, and I'm like, well, there's perverts, and so then we got into What's this What's a
2: pervert? <laughs> this whole
5: whole thing about perverts. And I'm like there's older people pretending to be kids because they are perverts weirdos that like this is and so like we got into this whole discussion I realized I'm like I can't believe I have this discussion, but thank God I'm having this discussion right. now because I want to have these discussions because they have to, pre- like, I'm, I'm not going to raise my kids to think that, like, the world is this merry, wonderful sure. place and Utopia. all of a sudden, yeah, then they, they turn 16, 17 and are totally unprepared. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, there are sick people out there who will do bad things. And I'm like, and they use the internet as, like, mm-hmm. that's kind of where, like, if you go on YouTube, um, there's all these adults, like, playing with toys. Have you seen these videos? Mm-mm. So there's, uh, on YouTube, like, uh, there'll be toy reviews, and it's, like, adults playing with toys. And I don't know if they're trying to do it to get hits to, to generate money. Mm-hmm. But, like, my son was, like, looking at my phone, and all of a sudden he was, like, watching YouTube. I'm like, what are you watching? I'm like, this is some grown-ass adult playing with Legos mm-hmm. and, like, playing with these toys. And I'm like, this And so now my whole deal is, like, you can't watch people playing with toys. Yeah, you got to have
3: that conversation earlier than you used to, for yeah. sure. The, the weird thing, this is crazy, you know, because we probably grew up kind of a video game generation to a degree, early, early days... Now my son, there's this new trend where, uh, on YouTube, you can watch other people play video games, yeah. Minecraft especially, and they're kind of. I'm like, you don't want to play the game; you want to watch somebody else play it. I'm out. I, I don't. I don't get it. There's a gap somewhere. I can't understand that. Are they like doing it for like
5: to see what other people are doing? Like, I mean, there's def- like To
3: be fair, he's kind of figuring it out. He's helping him strategically. I don't know, but right. to me, Learn it's like
2: techniques because they're. Uh, well, there are Yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly aware of this. I think I was probably on the. C- when I stopped playing video games, it was what like when it became competitive mm-hmm. and you would watch these like multiplayer matchups where d- there's just these dudes dominating other dudes and you kind of learn tactics. It's kind of fun to like see this dude. I, I I'm with you, man. Like, but that's what my nephews are into now yeah. as well is like, they're not getting the video games, but they're getting to watch people play these new video games on YouTube. Yeah. So I guess it's the next these, best thing. And
3: these video game guys have found their opportunity on YouTube yeah. to kind of exploit that. Oh,
2: and they have apparel. like So that's what, yeah. what's on the yeah. Christmas yeah. list, John, is actually like a dude who's in his late 20s who reviews kids' toys and has like a fun gag show on YouTube. Both my nephews want like shirts of his. Mm-hmm. And the shirts are 35 bucks, and they're one location, single color, 100% cotton.
5: You know exactly what that print like, is. And, and you're like, I'm those like, are $2 shirts. Yeah, I'm like, this guy's got to be... You're like, get me a picture of the logo, and we'll rip it off and print it ourselves. Yeah, that, believe me. <laughs> I thought
6: Dude, crossed my uh, mind.
5: <laughs> so when we were kids, um, I remember Super Mario Brother. Yeah. Like, like I remember Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and Super oh, Mario Brother cool. were about, like, the where I stopped playing video games. And I remember... There was somehow in some, in some magazine or somehow there was a place that if you sent like a $2 check to some address, they send you back all the cheat codes. And so, like I, uh, I, like, I remember, like, sending away for this thing. And, like, you know, nine months later, all of a sudden, there's, like, a letter for me. And it had all these things where you, like, hit all these patterns. And, like, all of a sudden, you get, like, unlimited lives. Or it gives you, like, hey, if you jump on this and you just kind of go, you can ramp up. So we basically figured out how to, like, run, like, the, the cheats in Super Mario Brothers off of, like, some weird pamphlet that this dude printed out and sent us for two bucks. Which, you know, one, it was uh, getting my mom to write a check. For two dollars oh, yeah. <laughs> to this, like it was like uh, like as so I think on, about the out. process, do you
2: remember then if you were a cheat code guy, which I wasn't, Game Genie? Yes. Do you remember Game Genie? No. no. Where you used to plug in your con- like okay, so you had the Nintendo where you put the cartridge in and then pushed it down, right? Game Genie was something you put the cartridge in and then you put that cartridge into the Nintendo and then. Pushed it down.
3: I do remember this. Right. And then you could,
2: same thing, John, you'd have to buy like the magazine, the Game Genie magazine Mm -hmm. that would give you the Game Genie codes to unlock like. Things that were never intended to be part of that game.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, and, so they, uh, yeah they hacked all these games, uh, like the
5: original Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I would have loved this and totally would have been on board, but like uh, this was probably before that. But, but uh,
2: I also remember what you're talking about in Nintendo Power. Yeah, like you could write in and get like.
5: Wasn't it just the gray Nintendo that had like the lift up and you pop it in, you put it down? Uh-huh. It was like gray and Nintendo, red. Yeah, and yeah, it was, yeah, it was just basic Nintendo. Yep, yep. yep. And then uh, when I was in the NFL in Philly, um, Xbox, which I think had. Halo, Does that that sound right? Yeah. So Xbox sent us um, all Xboxes, uh, like for the NFC NFC championship game. Wow. And the only game they gave us, or they they gave us all these games, but Halo was, like, by far the coolest game. So I went home, and um, this is so shitty, but I didn't have a TV. So uh, this is, like, my third year in the NFL. Um, I didn't have a TV in college and didn't have a TV my first couple years. Uh, I was kind of like this idea that, like, TV was the idiot box and nobody Mm -hmm. has it. And uh, then my mom came to visit me, and she's like, "You don't have a television? What are you a fucking weirdo?" And uh, <laughs> uh, she, yes, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I was like, pretty <laughs> much. So I get this. So I, I like didn't have a TV. I got this Xbox. I'm like, ah. So I go and I buy this big TV, and I started playing Halo. And uh, we, I thought I was pretty decent. And then all of a sudden, there was like Halo, like you could, um, yeah, the like online. A, yeah, online thing so We could plug it in it sucked. I like, with, as soon as I got off the ship, some dude would shoot me in the face. And I like, I got to the point where I was like, I just literally, all I do is die. And I remember mm-hmm. being like, first I'm unplugging this because I don't know who this kid is who's basically just waiting for me and shooting me. And I'm like, this sucks. And that's yeah. how I So,
2: Mason, maybe to help you uh, understand what you're, like, the allure of your son's deal. Like, so you, you obviously played Mario Brothers, like Mario 100%. 1, right? So if you were to go on YouTube and find a video that's like, Guy beats Mario in eight minutes. Like a speed run of Mario. And you were to sit there and watch that. And like, you've played that game a thousand times. Yeah. And that damn turtle always got you there. Or you always fell in that hole or whatever. You watch this dude run through it nonstop. And like jumping before the bad guys are there. Landing on him and doing this crazy shit. And you're like, wow. What in the hell is going on here? Like You can kind of like appreciate that level. And I think that's like when your son's watching these Minecraft dudes... Do whatever that game is. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm whatever sure. they
3: do, the voodoo I, they do so well. I yeah. totally get it, and, and I realize after I like kind of like you know berate him for like, are, you, are you crazy. <laughs> I'm I'm falling victim victim to this myself because so I love to fish. You know, I'm big outdoorsman, but I love to fish. Hmm. And there's a couple guys on YouTube that I watch fish, so I can pick up. But that's just dumb as him watching a video game. Dude, sure. I
5: watch guys kill pigs uh, with night vision, and I like—I'll find myself watching ten of these videos and laughing. And my wife's like, "You watching those pig killing videos?" I'm like, "I think they're hilarious." Uh, the one video that—and I uh, like—as you were talking about, the one that made sense is there was a uh, um, member like Rubik's cubes. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, we yeah. we had the Rubik's cube, and I never solved it. Like, as a kid, like, I got, like, one side or two sides. Like, I never figured it out. And then I remember, like, on YouTube one time, like, uh, when it was fairly new, um, some dude had, like, how to solve the Rubik's Cube and showed all the moves. Mm-hmm. And I went through it and, like, did it all and solved it and was like, all right, let me try it faster. And I, like, basically got to the point where I could solve the Rubik's Cube in probably, like, 29 moves. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember thinking, like, this YouTube things can be pretty big. (laughs) I just solved the Rubik's Cube and I fucking... I mean, I'm not kidding you. Like, we would go on road trips and I would literally put six hours into this thing trying to figure it out and had a pen and paper and I never solved it. And then I'm like, it's, you know, like you got to rotate, you got to do this, you got to, you know. And I'm like if only I'd had YouTube when I was like eight years old, I would have crushed this thing.
2: Yeah, because it's like a pattern per block, right? to yeah. so move a block there. Like, it's all the same pattern.
5: Yeah, it, it's the same pattern over and over again, but you have to rotate it uh, clockwise, and it like, yeah, but it's like 29 moves, and it and all, all you have to do is just memorize the movements, and you go <laughs> through it. And like, so now you watch these dudes on like YouTube, they're like, they can solve the Rubik's Cube in under three seconds, They're like, mm-hmm. and it's done. You're like... So he,
3: he is essentially, that's fascinating. He's by taking way, you one move at a time. My brain does not process that kind of stuff well at all. Like Rubik's Cube, I have very little patience for it. But you're saying there's a pattern. So, and they've so not only learned the pattern, but then they've learned, they've like literally the, the movement pattern yeah, of how to go. So,
5: so like how you move it, you spin here, you do this. I mean, like it's, and then the guy went through step by step. And like the thing about it is uh, regardless of who mixes it up, if you follow the pattern, It will go back in a certain amount of moves. Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe twenty nine is not the right word, but like, if like, because I I sat there and was like, well, yeah, if it's like this, but then I like gave it to other people. I'm like, mess this thing up. Like, take ten minutes, turn it a million times, and if you do the pattern, it works hundred percent. And like, I was like, where was the cheat code for that when I was eight years old and I could (laughs) send away two bucks? If somebody would have sent me a step by step, like, there has to be a book in the library. There, well, I like. I don't remember but if like there if was. You're going to the library, like, oh, I'm going to look up uh, on how to solve the Rubik's yeah, cube. Nonfiction on Rubik's cubes. Now. Yeah, no, that that I mean, but I do remember going to the library and like looking up. Uh, I don't know books. I remember we used to have to go to the library and you'd, like you go through the microfiche. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now I'm dating myself, but like I was like I, I actually have taken my kids to the library and like taken them through and like they're like you know now everything's like you don't have to know the Dewey Decimal system anymore, mm-hmm. but pretty cool. I mean, these are lost arts
6: mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm.
5: I
1: have some fitness questions. <laughs> Bring it, McQuokin. Now, we've we've talked about the consumer. How about the the professional? You provide an opportunity for people to get an in, entry-level position into fitness. And where John showed off the bottle of whiskey, that was delivered to us from... The wings post, of an angel? Postmates. No, Postmates. And so I'm, I'm waiting at the gate, and Postmates comes up, and it turns out they just graduated college with... The strength, delivery person. Right? Delivery person... Uh, so that was a gift uh, from a dude from Alabama. One of our coaches, delivery person is dropping off the booze because you can't ship it over state lines. So Postmates is delivering it. The individual just graduated college. It, I mean, paid a hundred grand to get a strength and conditioning, a fitness degree, and they can't find a job. So you have this opportunity where you're providing entry level fitness positions. Like where where's the future and the the uptick opportunity that Camp Gladiator presents for the fitness professional? Because you talked about area, uh, area directors. So there is this step-by-step opportunity within the business. So what potential do you have for these people that are delivering food, waiting on internships with a master's degree?
4: Mason, I'll let you start with this one and I'll chip
3: in. Well, that's a good question. Um, again, I think it, as I a, a look at our or trainers and and who they are and what their backgrounds are and what their experiences are. And maybe they have professional fitness experience. Maybe they don't, maybe they were an athlete uh, at a college level, professional level. We have a few of those that played in the uh, NFL and some other sports too, for that matter. But most don't most maybe have some, you know, was an athlete in high school, probably some that really weren't, you know, and for whatever reason they're attracted to what camp bladder provides and they want to be a part of it. Or maybe they are looking for like, Hey, I'm a trainer. I just graduated from, whatever um texas tech with a kinesiology degree and um, i'm looking at my options out there and i think that's like we have to really have a good conversation about it because we are fairly unique in what what we provide but also like what the experience is and what the opportunity is and to get to your question about opportunity i think you know jeff and jeff especially is one of our co-ceos and kind of where his brain works on the business side realized you know he kind of actually took some of the so he was a financial advisor at that point in time um, in Dallas, eventually came down here and was a branch president uh, at a, at a big financial firm. And he was kind of taking the way that his world worked in finance and what the opportunity was for a financial advisor um, and kind of applying some of that to like, okay, great, Allie, you, you know, you're doing this boot camp thing and now we want to kind of make this our own thing after the camp glider win, but what is the business model that's going to support this? And so he took from a few different kind of experiences And created this truly unique opportunity which i'm so grateful for because i'm like the direct benefit of it i was a i was a personal trainer fresh out of college exercise science degree um and i was in the industry for two years working at a you know kind of a a boutique gym in dallas that was you know leveraging kind of the university park highland park affluent crowd and smu and that was kind of what we were across the street from all that and was loving life doing what i knew to do as a trainer and enjoying it but didn't take me long to realize it. Holy smokes! This is not probably sustainable. I think my wife and I had one, well, only one kid at that point in time, and it was like the way to make more money was to train more hours. But you kind of run out of that because you're only so many hours in the day. And then now it's weekends, and the quality of life was just terrible. And I'm like, I realized early on this is not sustainable. How do you work? And that's why I think so many trainers find themselves in this. Like, well, forget this. I'm going to go do it on my own. And then maybe they go open up their own. I mean, I don't know how many trainers we talk to. Like, their their dream is to open up their own gym. Mm. And, and, I lo- and I love the spirit behind that. But personally, knowing what I know after working with lots of people who have owned their own gyms or... or
5: yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm all my own gym. It, it's, 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 a cha- it's, all, it's, it's so
3: challenging. And you, and you see so many folks who try to get into that world, but they just don't know what they're doing. They really bite off more than they can chew. They don't understand the overhead. We had a, a guy, he had more of a, like, um, his whole his passion was was youth sports. So he was strength and conditioning for middle school, high school athletes. It was in Louisiana super talented guy, super smart, work ethic, not a problem. And he's putting in, you know, 80-hour weeks. Um, but what he's taking home, he's bringing in, you know, almost $20,000 of revenue a, a month. But what he's taking home after all the bills is barely more than the trainer that he's employing, right? Mm. And I think that's where, like, it just breaks. And so what 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 Camp Glider is unique is that it provides a – there's just not a lot of career opportunities in fitness, Right to go work for the globo gyms or maybe some of the others and truly have like a career, you can have a job, you can kind of trade your hours for money and, and make a living. And that's very honorable. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you aspire to like, okay, how am I going to do this for like 40 years and have a career and what does that look like? And besides and there, and there's just not a lot of answers that the fitness industry has. So camp glider is unique because it truly is kind of a career opportunity to grow a business. Um, and maybe you want to go kind of the leadership path and become one of those directors and there's opportunities there. If that's not your world, no big deal. There's still a lot. I mean, Cody can speak to some of the things you get. Hey, I want to be a partner trainer and I want to impact people and have my locations. There's still other ways that you can kind of grow your business and produce revenue for yourself outside of just the training of people. And I think that's where it's attractive is that it is, it's a little bit more robust than just being a trainer or being a coach where, man, it's a lot of hours to do this. I love, I'm passionate about it, but I think we I think we lose a lot of great trainers because they realize after ten years of doing it, I don't know how to escape the grind of this and like what's next. CG has good opportunities and answers to that and I think a lot of folks don't. They end up going doing something else, selling insurance or whatever it may be, because they just can't um, you know, they can't reckon with the, the hours and an opportunity to not maybe support their family. When you started as a 21 year old, now you're 31, you got three kids like this is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they answer your question directly, but there's, um, that was really important for us to have an answer for that so that we can really go out there and recruit really talented people, people high caliber. They had the desire. And now we can provide a platform and that word gets used a lot. It's kind of a cliche, but a platform to grow a business with, you know, no ceiling, so to speak. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be hard, but you can grow it. And, um, and you know, reap the benefits of that, impact a lot of people, and also, frankly, get paid um, for, for what you're worth in doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question at all. That might have been a terrible answer to that question.
1: Yeah, I just, I just want to heed a warning to all our young fitness professionals. They need to position themselves with a team or a mindset that it's, take your passion, you're going to grind, but at the same time align with people that will empower you. And it, it sounds like Camp Gladiator that opportunity.
4: And I think something else that CG's uh, <clears throat> positioned well for is Mason mentioned kind of trading time for money um, that one-on-one, even to a degree semi-private, um, struggles with is we can, we can ultimately add a reasonable amount of people to our quote unquote one hour. Um, Personally, what I've struggled with is the one-on-one trainer mentality is I'm going to design an amazing program. Every, all the details are going to be hammered out. And when you start training 15 or 20 or 30, 40 people, you can start kind of getting caught in the, this is not perfect for everybody. Um, but it goes back to people want to be a little bit stronger. They want to move faster. They want to move well. They want to lose a little bit of weight. And so how you accomplish that in a big group, um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And, Every single set and rep doesn't have to be 100% perfect for
5: every single person. Yeah, but that nuance comes with experience. Like, I think, like, um, you know, and I know this from, from uh, you know, coming in and training people and, like, thinking, like, everything has to be perfect. And, and then I came to the realization, as long as it's better tomorrow than it was the day before. Sure. And we can see progression and, like, you know, you start to understand the nuance and the quality. I mean, we started teaching the seminar. It was the same deal. By the by the end of it, you get, like, where, you know, you can solve anybody's problem within seconds. Whereas, like, you know, without those hundreds of reps, sure, we would have never had the opportunity. So I, I sometimes wonder if... Uh, you know, when people come in, you're like, ah, this guy's not very good yet. But, like, if we give him enough opportunities, enough swings, number bites of the apple, he's going to be pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they have the intangibles, which it sounds like the intangibles are more, can you hustle? Can you run a business? Are you smart enough to market this thing? And if you can do those and you like fitness, we can probably work on and backfill the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if it came to education, I guarantee we could plug them in with texan and the academy, and they would need to know everything they need to know about strength conditioning. conditioning. 100%. That's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I was him. waiting for uh, ING, ING <laughs> out of you guys. But, in, in, yeah. in, in. but like, uh, like it feels like, as I've, I mean, we've sat here for almost two hours, uh, which feels like it's gone by like that. Like, it really comes down to finding somebody that has the intangibles of... Can you manage your business? Can you understand the system? Can you hustle in it? And are you willing to put in the hard work to market yourself to get people to provide the experience? If you can do all those things, then you know working for Camp Gladiator probably makes a lot of sense. And all the other stuff you can kind of like pick up as you go. Because unfortunately, nobody's going to be perfect day one in terms of like their delivery and the knowledge and whatever. I mean, you have to get in it. You have to mix it up. You have to see. I mean, because training forty people is different than ten people, than one people, or like, sorry, or one person. And uh, it's just finding somebody that has those intangibles that kind of has that rock star quality where you're like, man, if we can just backfill this guy with some great information, he's going to go to the moon. And Cody,
2: Cody you know what's interesting is when, uh, that was in some – so the, the converse of that is something that was a paradigm shift when we would teach gen pop coaches or trainers to manage uh, youth athletes or sport performance types types of training where you only have four to six weeks with these folks. Mm. So now all of a sudden, yeah. that one yard, two yard, three yard gain isn't enough. You have to be putting in the proverbial perfect program for, sure. for that individual. To de- But first, you need to know and assess their limiting factors. What is limiting them? What are the demands of their sport? How do we reverse engineer a tra- strength and conditioning program dependent on this person's uh, ideal uh, attendance to your your training, which is three day, two day, five day, four day, whatever. Okay, well this needs to be switched on and dialed in because the you don't have a lot of time. Whereas I think in adult fitness, the goal should be like, and not not necessarily like uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh like malicious intent. Like the goal is to prolong their tenure with you. Like you want them to be there for a long time. And So you don't necessarily need to give them the secret sauce. You just need to, like John said, inch them along their journey. And that works on two fronts. Number one, I think, uh, like for the business side of it, well, it keeps a higher lifetime value, which is good. That's what you're trying to do as a business. Create value and make some cash. But number two, the longer these things take, the longer they stick, right? So that principle of reversibility, quick ripe, quick rotten. But if you slowly go towards... The and, and inch your way towards the best version of yourself, the fittest version of yourself the longer you're going to reap the rewards of that training or that journey
1: And we do talk about this in our, our trainer course with different levels of education one for performance, strength and conditioning and then trainer entry level position and in the entry level there is I feel a fear in the fitness community that I don't want to give them everything because then they'll, they don't need me anymore, I want to position the the trainer that takes the course to realize the the more you give them the more likely they're going to be your billboard and then bring you more potential and not necessarily need you but want you Mm
4: -hmm. so um when i started um so i do cg and then i have some private clients on the side um, which is a really cool setup and it's awesome that cg allows for trainers to do that um that was one of my biggest hesitations was, gosh, like I can write a mean training program five days a week, but I'm only going to see them once or twice. And so my initial hesitation was, what if I give them this program? They're like, they don't need me. Um, And then ultimately what I found out was I'm going to give them the most amazing program ever. And they're going to get the most incredible results and the fastest results, but they're not sticking around for like nuts and bolts and Progressions and whatnot. Ultimately, that's a part of it, but it's the relationship. It's the service. It goes far beyond that. It's creating that autonomy where they do need to do it on their own. Awesome, great. They're empowered to do that. Um, and so I found that even with the groups, sprinkling in education just for my, you know, my my moms who have two kids or the retired dad or whatever it is, um, so that they have a better understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. That creates just more buy-in on their end because it's not me as their trainer just throwing something against the wall and hoping something sticks. There's there's more purpose and intent mm-hmm. behind what we're doing. Mm-hmm.
3: um I think on top of that too. I mean, that's where kind of going back to from a CG perspective, like the relationships, the rapport, trainer to camper, client, and also camper to camper. While we you know within our workout, it, there's a lot of opportunity to interact and be in teams or partnerships to create those chances we're you know we're doing social stuff uh outside of camp to help people create those relationships so that yeah even if they knew it all they just don't want to miss the party that happens every wednesday monday wednesday friday at five thirty 30 a.m in a church parking lot cause it's just fun and they're creating those relationships there and so yeah we, we talk about it uh, at academy that you know hey if you're if you're really a great trainer you're your campers should be getting smarter just from all the time and the hours training with you. They should understand more about the human body and how it works and some of the approaches just from hearing you talk ad nauseum for an hour each time. But that's never a threat. Just
5: droning on about that strength conditioning (laughs) thing.
3: (laughs) But that's never a threat because you're creating an environment that people just want to be a part of it.
5: How hard is it to, I mean... Is it something that is kind of a, um, innate within people, like you find people that are really good about, you know, charismatic individuals that can stand up and motivate? Or is that something that you feel like you can teach? Um, I know for the seminar, uh, you know, I've, I'm not going to name any names. But we've had people that when we go out and teach a seminar that weren't great in the beginning, but then they learn to manage the experience and you give them the opportunity. Is that something that you think you can cultivate or is it something that either they have that star power or they don't?
4: I, I I that's a great question. Um when I was much younger, I had a really healthy fear of public speaking. Big time. Couldn't stand it, which most people, that's pretty common. Um meeting Mason, actually. Do you know why people have a fear of of uh of public speaking? Um I have a guess. I have a feeling you have a better answer. Well, <laughs> what's your guess? Um I think it has to do with fear of failure, judgment of the audience. Um, I know personally for me, it's like not being able to speak well on the subject. Um, and it's probably, it goes back to like, you know, middle school where... Imposter you're, syndrome type deal. Uh, so imposter that's weird because like you actually have to be like an expert. And I feel like in order to like have imposter syndrome, right? Um, but if I'm in middle school, and my teacher's like, hey, we want you to do a, you know, five minute public speaking on summer reading... And the reading just didn't really resonate with me. And I don't understand it. Like, that's going to be a terrifying experience for me. So
5: so what they found was that social fear, uh, like, you know, like evolutionary, we grew up within these kind of small communities. And so the social fear of being ostracized out of the community and being able to like kicked out where you're no longer Mm -hmm. within the protection. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, I wasn't able to socially connect. I have this social fear of not being uh, thought of as an equal. So then the fear of getting booted out of the out of the camp, you know, outside the wall so that the wild animals eat me uh is like the fear piece of this and so there was like a social component to social fear that got kicked out into like a real life like i'll lose my life because i won't be part of the group fear interesting and so like i i just read something that was talking about like uh social fears and where they kind of stem from and it, it actually relates to social media and a lot of this stuff they're like well why do people have this fear of, like, not being adorned by people they don't know, or why would you have the fear yeah. of standing up uh, in front of all these people? And they, the guy went back and was like, you know, it's, it actually stems from when we were in small groups because we would, um, you know, build fires and sit around and, like, you know, this would allow us to be able to be successful and to survive whatever was, you know, coming to eat us out there. And so the social deal and the fear of not being accepted by the group and the fear of being ostracized and thrown out and getting eaten by wild animals sure, yeah. uh, kind of played into it. And I was like that is so enlightening because i never you know there everybody has a fear of uh, public sure. speaking yep. i know the first time i had to get up and give a public day you know you're like petrified and then all of a sudden you get up there and like after you've done it a while you're like oh it's like putting on an old coat like this is great i feel great in front of a bunch of people and then people actually um i'll tell you greg glassman uh ceo former ceo of crossfit mm-hmm. was incredible in front of 50, 100 people like he would get up and like the guy would light up one on one was never very charismatic and was mm-hmm. like not a, a you know somebody that you would be like man like this guy can get up and, and woo a, a, a room of 100 people. Like, I've never seen anybody like do this, but yeah, one on one was just kind of average. Mm, and uh, I asked him about that, and he's like, you know, there's something about being in front of a group of people, everybody watching you, that allows me to go on stage and give my best. The action is the juice, John. Yeah. I get
4: energized, I do. Um, well, but John, going back to your question, I, terrible public speaking for me. And I'm not going to say now that I'm great at public speaking, but being able to watch Mason, Mason's fantastic in front of five people, 50 people. You don't have to say that just because he's sitting here. It's not. I (laughs) promise. Um, But over the years, getting to see Mason present and speak to multiple different group sizes. Everyone loves Mason, right? And All so right. I, got
5: to, I got to pick up. It's getting weird now. It's getting awkward. Does everybody love Mason? It's certainly not true. I love, lo- true. <laughs> I love I Lamp. I love, I love, love Mason. Most <laughs> people love Mason.
4: <laughs> I, lo-
3: I love steak.
5: <laughs> I love steak. No, that's true.
4: But I got to watching Mason um, and being able to present with Mason. Ultimately, that made me a better presenter. So to your question, I do feel like um, as long as people are open-minded to it, there's plenty of room for people to develop... Charisma or leadership, whatever it might be, that's going to allow them to thrive in CG. Can I? And I'll just add really quickly
3: to that. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, Luke. It, it's it sounds really bad. I hate to say this. I could probably put it more gently, but there is a because I think you can teach it to answer your question. Um, and but there are for sure some that we that it's just not natural to. Yeah,
2: diminishing returns. Just yeah, and, and,
3: and it kind of results. I mean, we you know we kind of use the analogy of like, hey, you know, you you get this when people are coming out to your camps and you're church parking lot or your school field, like that's your stage you know and they're driving by all these other opportunities they could go and like there's this pressure and this opportunity like when they show up you put on this show and so you got to kind of like rise to the occasion of like you know you're on the stage and some if it's not natural it's it it can be awkward and that can kind of and then for some i think for some it's just like it can be a likability thing and i think if you don't I don't know how to express that any better than that. If you're, if there's not this natural disposition where people are like drawn to you in this kind of magnetism, um, not because you're off-putting or you're rude, but just if there's something about kind of how you project that you know yourself and express what this is, this sixty minutes supposed to feel like. If that's unnatural and it's awkward, then it's just it's hard to sell it. You know, it's hard to sell that, and people are like want to keep on coming back. And that's what I think is hard sometimes is to teach that because you can kind of talk about charisma and energy and and how to create that and even how to program your workouts so that it doesn't all fall on you and you can kind of create some energy within the framework of team and partnerships but if, if if you just i don't know maybe if it's a social awkwardness thing i have not figured out exactly what to say to somebody to help them overcome those things and we do see certain trainers that just struggle in that arena and and, you know, they're not as popular. There are not as many people at those camps because of that. Are there it's,
5: movies that, that you maybe, like, plug them into? Like, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn, Glenn Ross, like, The Selling, ABC. Um, oh, yeah. I put my coffee down. I had a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is just a, a, a small story, but um, when I was in college, and I've told these guys this story, uh, I had a guy that I played with who took a class, and I think, like, the basis of his thesis or what he was writing a paper on was that he had a theory that he could make anybody funny. Hmm.
6: Oh, wow. And
5: his whole premise was if you watch Fletch over and over and over again, (laughs) you will effectively learn how to be funny by watching Chevy Chase and Fletch. And um, I think he was a big stoner. So like, I mean, but now that's not really a big thing uh, in California. Um, He must have smoked a lot of dope. But uh, that was his whole theory. And he had this whole thing. And so when he would, um, like, we'd be there and be like, that's not funny. You need to watch more Fletch. At least twelve of them.
3: I love that Fletch was like was, his, his, his barometer for. Funny. Well,
5: that was his humor was like the Chevy right. Chase, like um, you know, hey, can I borrow a towel? My car just hit a water buffalo. I mean, all those one liners that he uses in in Fletch uh, was like his because there were so many different versions of comedy within it, and like he had this whole like mastery thesis written out about like the comedy of Chevy Chase and uh, Fletch and how if you just implant or implant somebody into that. They can become funny. So I wonder if there's like, you know, hey, I want you to go watch, you know, Glengarry and Ross. Uh, I want to watch, uh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. Like you throw them all these movies and be like, this is kind of what you're looking for. Like you don't need to be Brad uh, Brad Pitt in Fight Club, but you have to be enough of a salesman and enough of a a pivotal force that people are willing to come back and see you every week.
3: Yeah, that's right. I think there's a lot of truth to that. That's why I love Fletch. <laughs> Roger Rosen Rosen is that? Yeah, right?
5: yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what was the other one? He's like it's probably uh, it's probably that pedderass handerhand bucking for a promotion, and I didn't even know what a ass was until I had to look that one up. And I don't know if you guys know what a ass is. It's mm-hmm. a person that touches kids, mm-hmm. and uh, like, it's also in Lebowski. Yeah, it's, um, yeah that's right. He's a kids, dude. He's a ass. Nine year olds. <laughs> Do you know who the new Fletch is?
1: The actor, the mm-hmm. remake.
3: I didn't know they're doing one.
1: John Hamm.
5: They're remaking mm-hmm. Fletch? You can't remake Fletch. I don't know. That's going It's work. all ball bearings these days. Well, yeah, was, it, was it was a book. I like John Hamm, though. He's who, the, got, who, he's got who, the drive. Who's John like, Hamm? Uh, Mad
3: Men, right? Yeah, Mad, Mad Men. Man. Oh! oh yeah, real yeah, looker. Yeah, Good yeah, looking yeah. dude. The town. Yeah. yeah. yeah,
2: yeah I think no, he I, might be able to do
5: it. He, he could well, probably pull it off.
2: I also am not like a Fletch purist, so that
5: might offend like, uh, Zach. Who's the guy from The Hangover? Zach Galifianakis. He has got the best... Like he could do Fletch to me mm-hmm. when he's like, uh he's like, what's up with the, you know, with the fancy pack? It's a pack. Tactical like, satchel. It's a satchel. <laughs> Indiana Jones, like, like, the, like, did, did you see his uh, his whole uh, comedy sketch with like the two ferns? Oh yeah, between yeah, two ferns, dude. between two ferns. Like I, he had Hillary Clinton on. Well, he had the and uh, Obama and he. Oh, he, oh yeah, Seinfeld. right. And, yeah. and and the funny part was Hillary Clinton didn't know who he was or know anything. Like she was like. I mean like oh. it's yeah, it's great. Oh, it's <laughs> they, cringeworthy somebody set to set her up then. <laughs> oh dude, it, it, it unbelievable. Like I watched uh like a couple of them on YouTube and I was like this is this it's is genius. It's so awkward at hurt. It is like, It's yeah. so I love it. I, li- I like it. Uh, yeah. Mason,
1: don't have your team watch that. Yeah, I don't. Because yeah. that's going to make them more awkward.
3: Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the other direction. <laughs> I'm I'm wrong kidding. direction now. I, don't be this guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I am curious, Mason. If okay, so there's like that that likability component. I'm pe- like I know what you mean by that. Um, where where on that that spectrum or within those attributes of like the trainer DNA. Like what? Where where are they falling short on that? Like what are those attributes?
3: I, it's so hard to pinpoint. I will just say this is why I think it's important within our the framework of like the the preparation process, as we would call it. You know, that it's it's about a ten week thing. We try to spend as much time together as possible. It's not just you know here's a, here's a list of things to check mark and go do these things and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk to you in ten weeks. There's a lot of time spent together. You know, anybody can kind of prepare for. Uh, to interview well, right, right. But the more you spend time with somebody, the more you get to kind of know them, um, and just kind of you know just see what they're like. Uh, and, and of course, we bring them out to the the camp environment. You have to go to a lot of workouts in this. We want to you know we want you to fall in love with the product and, and learn from it and experience it and see some of our you know kind of proven trainers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's a chance where now you get a chance to within this training process to actually be the trainer, kind of co-training. And I'm like, okay, Chris, you know you're up. I'm you know you got the you got the warm up. Here's here's the workout. If you can plan for ten minutes of the warm up and kind of slowly, and we don't expect it to be great. I was you know, terrible the first time. I was I was doing one on one stuff. To suddenly so be in front of twenty five people was terrifying to me. And we and we're coaching, and you do a bunch of those who are saying like, Are you coachable? Is it? Are you getting the message? Are you improving a little bit? Is there enough kind of raw material here to kind of work with throughout the process? And yeah, so,
2: and I'm kind of curious. i like, if there's like a rubric or something that you're kind of showing these scorecards through the development pipeline of that ten day academy. And you're saying, "Uh, oh, hey, here's some. Here's where you're low. Here's ways to like ramp that attribute up. I don't know. I guess that's how I'm envisioning it. I'm yeah. uh, just curious how you all do it because we we have something similar for when we do our coaches evaluation over the weekend. You know, we have those verticals that we're kind of monitoring through each milestone of that weekend to see where individuals are deficient. Mm-hmm. And what's unique, I think, about our evaluation experience is we actually then ship off feedback so like in the strength and conditioning <clears throat> paradigm of continued education pass fail poof, see you later whereas what we do is we package up like hey here's where you scored low here's what we've seen has been successful in raising that score and here's you know these are the attributes that we feel create a a um like a more capable strength and conditioning coach within the power athlete methodology
3: yeah um yeah, so I was just trying to kind of and, like- and that's where that director is so pivotal, like the leadership element, because you know, while there's a few different people and entities so to speak, like the company and and that are involved in like this person working through the process to maybe become a CG partner trainer or franchisee, you know, really is that area director who kind of is owning that relationship, building that rapport, being the the uh, you know like the one to provide that feedback and one to coach them up and so you know if, a, if you don't have that level right mm-hmm. then they're going to end up producing a kind of trickle down effect of what right. you're really trying to create right, right. so that's important there um, and at the same time I think you can also have to appreciate that there's a certain degree of like what, what is it is it sunk cost of like man I've spent so much time with this person but they're just not really getting it but you know like I, I don't want to disappoint them I don't want to you have to be transparent with your feedback and real and really try to help somebody. And then also at the same time, like if it's just not working out, it takes a lot of courage in that moment to say, you know what? I don't, you know, I want to serve you well by saying, I don't think this is going to work out. There's not enough here after all this time together that leads me to believe that this is going to be great for you, but that's a tough conversation to have.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: And so, uh, you know, it's tricky and you know, we're not, we're not perfect in that at all, but I think we're trying to get better and better so we can really put people and that's where like we're trying to respect the brand standards mm-hmm. Um, And grow and scale through other trainers, but also honor like, you know, we have standards and I think to your point about like, you know Some of the the scorecard or whatnot like trying to get a little bit more on the nose with some of those things to have yeah, there's a subjectivity involved in that, but there's also sure. there can be some objective truths as well. Like you know, where are you
5: scoring? Where are you need? So yeah, that's tough. But you know whether or not somebody's an influencer, like and I hate that term influencer has been fucking <laughs> murdered here with like social media and whatnot. But like you know, like if the person standing up there is an influential person that can convey their message and to get people rallied in the right direction, like that was something that you know when I see people speak, like one, um, I always want to know like what are the action items? Like what am I walking away with? Like what mm-hmm. are you empowering me with? You know, and more importantly, like, how did I feel hearing this information being presented to me more so than actual words themselves? Mm, interesting. And I think that if somebody can inspire and then provide some form of direction, like, hey, this is what I need you to action. I think people can do it. But I think that the inspiration part, uh, you know, it can't be faked. I mean, some people can fake it, but they're usually sociopaths. But like um, that piece and I like it's. uh You know, people have it or they don't, but I think you can nurture it Mm -hmm. as long as somebody can find the right direction and find kind of their voice. Like, uh, you know, like the way Luke presents is different than Chris, different than myself. And I I think when I originally started uh, teaching across a football seminar, um, the guys that I had, I think, were trying to be carbon copies Mm -hmm. of us. And I think like even when we started with you guys, like that was kind of what you guys did. And I think I remember well, I was like, dude, I don't need you to be me. I need you to find your own voice. And I remember, you know, after a lot of opportunities sitting back there and hearing like new stories, new pieces, this a different approach where they kind of started making it their own. And I was like, thank God. Like, I don't want this to be like autistic monkeys just getting up and like, you know, like repeating the same stuff, but finding your own voice, the way you present your own pauses, your own stories, your own vernacular. And I think if you can do that, then, uh, you know, because I think the easy thing is just a, well, you're successful. Let me just pretend to be you. So true. And then it's so transparent. People are like, ah, it doesn't work. It's right. It's like
2: wearing, like walking around wearing your dad's suit, you know, like that's not your suit.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. your bad suit. It's a little big. It's it's so true, and and we more or less give that same advice because there is the tendency to like, well, I want to emulate that. That's proven. That's working. That's successful. I'm just going to do that.
5: Well, it worked for Cody with you. That's, yeah,
3: it's well, just, <laughs> just being like uh, Mason Junior. That's the that's the anomaly. But but um, <laughs> but you're right. It doesn't work, and they have to. And I think we try to say, hey, like you're going to. That's why we want to expose them to lots of different people. You know, go to all these workouts. These are phenomenal trainers. Go see what they're doing, how they're doing it. And I think within that, they can also find somebody they really connect with. Like, oh wow, okay, you're. I, I can try to be that more than I can maybe some of these other things. But the idea is to expose yourself to all of that. Take all the great things from it. Mm-hmm. Listen to kind of the standards and then find that, whatever, that healthy 25% that's like totally unique to you. Yeah. And then you create this really unique package that's, you know can only be found in what in, in you and your, your workout.
2: And I think imitation could be a, a, a suitable starting point. But that's where, you know, in terms of a mentor, okay, you know, like I know for a fact I did start trying to as, start like just – saying what John said, but then mm-hmm. like it coming back to what I think Cody, you're talking about with like the public speaking is because I know what they was talking about. <laughs> 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 so then like Man. you sit down and you like, okay, John, what's the origin of this? How is this connected? For me, it was connect this to the other parts. And then once I saw like the Russell Crowe, beautiful mind, all the yarn, it was like, ah, oh, so if I can pivot at any time to address any of this stuff, that's where I felt the confidence. Um, to inject my own, uh, you know, stories or spins or twists on things, you know, but then there were certain what I did find in like you sit back and you watch as, you know, John or Roth or something like the The founders were giving this stuff and you'd hear them say things a specific way in certain things oh, yeah. and you feel the whole room like <sighs> you could hear them all writing something down. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think I called I forgot what I called those lines, but there was you know, 50 or so lines in the seminar that like I ended up taking to the team and saying, no, we say it this way. We say it this way. This is an anchor point in this, in this presentation. You have to hit it this way or the, the message isn't delivered. And it was only through like watching intently these guys and really paying attention to the crowd. Um, you know, and I'm thinking the nutrition lecture is one of the most, was one of the most impactful. Like there were certain lines on there that just people loved, you know, uh, fat on the plate is not fat on the waist. Earn your carbs like thir- certain mm, things like. Got to
1: face some other soul. Yeah, if protein. it
2: ran, swam, or flew, it's protein. <laughs> yeah. If it didn't, it's not. You know, like s- certain certain things like that. Um, but with that said, like absolutely, then it's interesting. To, you know, it's awesome to have that mentorship uh, as a core value to so folks can come in, sample a lot of these like really tried and true trainers, and then say, oh, okay, I get it.
1: On top of that, the the summit. So Brett Bartholomew, myself, we were part of it in 2020. Mm-hmm. You are exposing to all these different voices. At the same time, it's connected through movement, strength, leadership. So it, draw, it can be drawn back with an intelligent uh, experience or eye to the fitness mm-hmm. experience that they're taught or introduced to through you. So it's this, again, the opportunity to expose to different voices, experiences, but at the same time, encourage them, find your own.
3: You know, you talk about like the anchor points, those things like, no, 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 we say it this way. That was so emphatic and so impactful and like really drove a point home. I think, I think that's so true because, you know, even when we like were presenting at Academy and the product workshop, we call it three hours of like this deep dive into kind of the product experience and the cute variables and the programming and some of the other intricacies of that. But there are so many places where you know we say it the, the sa- same way but then we might follow that up with um kind of what we've done here which is great storytelling you know, i might have some anecdotal story that really helps to make that point very sticky and memorable maybe it's maybe there's it's humor filled or whatever the case yeah. may be but that's personal to me we talked about this because it would be it would be weird for you to tell the, the story of the hailstorm you yeah. know that's my story i lived it but you find your own way to kind of communicate that as mm-hmm. so long as it's you know Prefaced by that that emphatic point that you don't change.
2: Yeah, no one was believing my NFL stories. In my first <laughs> time, seminars. I thought it was great.
5: I I, lo- I always loved it when they were up there just telling these stories, and I'm like, oh, this is so good.
2: Oh. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of that. Like, but no, no joke would tell John's NFL story and be like, that's John's story. That's not my story. But
5: like, it was uh, it was what, what you'd imagine just... it'd be like.
6: Yeah, I don't <laughs> that. and that
5: was exactly no, where no, my, you didn't. Well, um, we just had so. I mean, uh, dude, there were so many opportunities because we would just fly in. You know, show up at a gym on a Saturday morning, have you know anywhere from 20 to 50 people that were fresh, brand new, and then you basically entertain them for two hours. Oh, I mean, for for two days. You know, teach them a whole bunch of stuff. They felt like they were drinking from a water hose. Mm-hmm. and uh, fire hose. And, or from a fire hose. Um, but it was uh, like we took the almost famous where, like, I'm going to find the one guy who's not getting off, I'm going to get him off, and you can print that. And, like, just all these pieces of basically realizing that people will not always remember the information but they will remember how they felt mm-hmm. how they were inspired mm-hmm. and you know like what like like, uh, like the moments that they had like the small moments like hey did this guy get his moment because mm-hmm. that's what they'll remember how did you make him feel what did they walk away with all the other stuff like uh, like Yeah, we'd get emails like I don't remember anything you guys talked about, but it was amazing. Yes, and like 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 that like that was crazy because then I realized it wasn't as much about the information as it was about making the connections, Mm -hmm. uh, inspiring people, and telling some really good stories that people can I can relate to because people can relate to stories. That's right,
2: and that's what's interesting I think about um, adult fitness because like we started off this conversation, fitness is an individualized, contextual, time specific definition that is always changing and to achieve a level of fitness or improve a your level of fitness there's it's so broad the way you could do that it's why the fitness industry is so rife with like these weird gadgets that can work and these weird training styles <laughs> that can work there are so many ways you can get fit But I also think that there's a paradigm of a better way to do it. That's right. And it's the things that we're talking about here, which is like inclusive community, memorable experiences, making sure that there's like a story to the brand, a story to the training, Mm. to the trainer, to the the leadership, Um, like offloading and imparting that knowledge on your clients so they don't need you, but they want you like that to me is where like is creating a fitness experience or even strength and conditioning experience, whatever that that's worthwhile, that has panache. And and I think that's where that's ultimately going back to kind of like the likability. And I, I'm not wed to that either that we were talking about and I was kind of digging in on like there's this likability component. I don't know if that's the right term, but it's like that's pulling from that non-technical Component mm-hmm. of running a fitness class or a bootcamp class or something like that, right? Like it's, it's, it's what's, what you're lacking in there, whatever that panache is, Tex.
1: Well, it's, it's a finding a way to communicate if, if you are my clients, my athletes that you're working with, I'm going to hold you to a higher expectation standard than you're holding to yourself. Mm-hmm. But I'm creating this possibility and this vision for you. In our trainer course, we simply call it AIM. We want to create. It's not a specific goal like lose 15 pounds. No, just moving, showing up. These are behaviors that we're going to then reinforce. I'm going to hold you to it. Accountability is a great word to introduce to people for the first time because a lot of them don't have that in their lives, or they have things that are pulling from simply showing up we encourage our coaches to make sure that the hardest part of their clients or their athletes day is getting there. Yeah. We don't want you to right. burn them down within your 60-minute window if you have opportunity because they have stress outside of their lives. Let's progress during mm-hmm. this 60 minutes.
2: Well, I think you, the, the language started is we don't want you to break them, but you can boil them. Right.
1: You know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> Boiling point, not breaking point. And as... The, the fitness professional enthusiasts, they get into it because they love the burn, the feel, and all that good stuff, and they want to give that to other people. We have to communicate, no. Let's take a step back. Let's actually assess them and get them to the point when make them do more than they did yesterday, not burn them down and so sore
4: that they can't live their life. Mm-hmm. Or the, you make the rest of their life after that workout worse. Exactly. And which is, which is a weird thing because like the whole, Oh, like I could barely move after the workout. And it's like, Oh shoot. That's not what I want to hear as your coach. I want like, I want you to be feeling awesome. I want you to feel great. Um, but ultimately we need to move the ball down the field and that, I mean, ultimately that takes education as well. You know, coaching people up on, Hey, like soreness is probably not the best indicator of an effective workout. And with that education, it's also observation. Because if you're
1: picking up on these things that your clients are saying, you need to be writing them down or making note to then adjust to saying, oh, if even if that person has a positive connection to, oh, my legs are so sore, after, hmm. Okay, and you make these adjustments to how you then communicate, even then the, the small adjustment would be making them go heavier next time so they can't do as many reps, less likelihood that they'll get sore and they'll be thinking and feeling, and I use... Air quotes for our podcast listeners that they're doing more, but it's going to control the volume, sure. which then leads to less soreness from our experience. So, and in finding these nuances and experience, the more reps and the opportunities you get, we want trainers and coaches to make mistakes, just none that lead to injury.
3: Right, mm-hmm. do you no know harm. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. You know, like you talk about again, like being a more fit version of yourself, right? Like and I think for us, like, we've tried, I think we've tried to take a very non-judgmental posture on other programs and other ways because it is such an individual thing. Like you said, John, sure. like what fitness means is what they're seeking, what they're after. And this is where I think, like, you know, gosh, your experience in the NFL, right? Like your strength and conditioning coaches, it's very focused. Like, here's the objective. You're not just the most fit, but you're the better football player to go win a championship, right? Like that's now we're getting pretty micro at that point. But for general population, I mean... Well,
5: that's the difference between fitness and performance. Yeah. You know, like, like, like there's a huge deviation between fitness and performance, just like there is between, you know, athleticism and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, I played with some of the, you know, most incredible athletes that were by far the least fit individuals you've ever seen. Interesting. You know, so like they're like, I think we were kind of um, siloed into this idea that there's kind of this like mutual exclusive or I mean like you know dependent deal of like fitness and health and athleticism and you know all these things and strength and I've met really strong people that were extremely unfit and were really unathletic Mm -hmm. so like I've met people that have them all but they are like not interdependent and I think the one thing that you know people have done a pretty good job of is relating fitness to athleticism that somehow because you're more fit you're a better athlete Oh. But the problem is, is yeah. uh, we've seen that not the case. Not at all, really true. I mean, I'm sure you've seen people that are real fit that, like, you know, you're no. like, this person's going to kill themselves at any moment because they just lack <laughs> athleticism. So really what we saw, and then this is the the really the deviation between the general pop and what you see for performance for, like, an NFL player, is the idea of, like, can you perform at a high level for the task at which you are, you are working to complete? Mm-hmm. If you can do that, then, like, what else does matter? Like, it doesn't matter, like, what your 5K is. It doesn't matter if you can go to a boot camp. It doesn't matter because it's so focused on your specific right. talent. And, uh... You know, and I, I think the minute that you start trying to get into a little bit of general, like there's obviously some, you know, benefits to having a little bit of GPP and a little bit of aerobic capacity in terms of recovery and all the other key things for making sure you got a, you know, healthy, functioning you know, body. But at the end of the day, it's so specialized It is um, that I think when you get out and in general population, like how fit does somebody need to be? And I I think about for like your boot campers or the people that are showing up or the moms or this, like how fit do they need to be? They need to be fitter than they were the day before. And they need to be moving on this, you know, you know, am I able to do more? Do I feel better? Am I not as tired? You know, do I fit better in my clothes? Do I, you know, all these kind of small metrics. Whereas I think the problem is that's what most people need, but it's sexier to sell performance and sports specific (laughs) and all the other shit. And most people don't need it because they don't have a really a metric to ever test it. It's not like they're going to go on American Gladiators or go play in the NFL right. in this. Most people just want to feel better. Yeah. They want to be able to carry their
4: groceries from the car to in the kitchen one, in one, one trip. Yeah, yeah. Two? Too? Too many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Try. with you. And that's uh, James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. That's the, like, the aggregate of marginal gains. Just 1% better every day over
5: the course of a year. Like, it's, it's huge. Huh, well, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Hoff, who's a powerlifter at Westside, his, uh, his whole deal was I make a living off of five-pound PRs. So every time he went into a contest and when he mm. lifted, he just wanted to go five pounds more. And then the guy ends up you know, setting, like, in terms of geared powerlifting, like, the strongest dude ever. But it was like everybody else was looking for a 30-, 40-, 100-pound gain. He's like, no, nope, I'm just going to go five-pound PRs. As long as I can make five-pound PRs for, like, the next 20 years, I'll be the strongest person ever. Yeah. And, uh, like, I, I think that message resonated with me later in life. Whereas I was stuck in this idea of like, I got to try to put a hundred pounds on my bench. Right. <laughs> and like, and, and then next thing you know, you're trying all those crazy things instead of being like, as long as I can put a little bit more on. And I think that's where like the whole thing for power that came from was because I made these mistakes. And when you start trying to make these really drastic improvements, mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you're, uh, you know, having, you know, injuries like, um, like I had a pretty nasty knee injury in high school. Cause I thought I wanted to run the one ten hurdles and I caught my back heel on a, on a hurdle, drove my uh, right knee into the ground, and had like, patellar tendonitis ever since. And like, it was like, one of these things where it like, hampered me until I ended up blowing out my knee. But like, uh, you know, as I think back, I'm like, why the hell was I trying to run the 110 hurdles? I know, because I had read this idea that hurdlers were better athletes, and I was like, trying to extrapolate this stuff out without any direction. But I think, like, that, you know, and the mentors we had around us were like, sounds like a good idea. And said, like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Get away from that. So, uh, but, um, you know, being able to, to take people on those journeys, and I was thinking, too, especially for, like, the end user that comes to the boot camp, like, probably the first question is, like, well, how many days a week can I come? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I don't know. How many can you come? Are you fit enough to come every day? Yeah. Why don't we start at two or two days, and then we'll go to three, and you kind of do a linear progression. If you can get to where you can do this every day, then you know what? We're moving where we need to go, and I think being able to show that market improvement is probably a big benefit. Yeah, start with minimum effective dose and go from there. Absolutely.
4: But that's what, it's challenging because minimum effective dose is not sexy. No. (laughs) No. It's kind
6: of boring. I've learned to love it. uh, I'll be honest with you. Hey, I'm (laughs) there
4: with
2: you. Once every every two months, you know, exercise kind of hard. Uh, but But
5: like there's so many things that aren't sexy. Like, the basics aren't sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, you know, doing the basic compound movements or, like, learning to do this, it's not sexy. Like, the the dedication, like you were talking about Jocko. I always think of Jocko as, like, the guy who tells me it's 4.45 in the morning every day. Um, But, like, that idea of, like, consistency is what really drives home. It's not like you're going to show up one day and, like, some magical workout's going to happen that all of a sudden, like, allows you to become exponentially better. It's like... You know, like the the age old one and I uh, around this time of year, it's always like the resolutionists, like the end of the year, like, the you know, new me, to you and we make jokes about it. But there's always that like one person or that one quote that's like, if you start today, think how happy you'll be next year that you already started and you have 12 months to work on it, you know, opposed from like waiting till next month or what Mm -hmm. next year, like start today and you'll be so much happier you did. And it's because it's really the accumulation, the process, the accumulation of time—like you know, time under intensity, you know, whatever you want to talk about. But like the person that's able to train the longest at the greatest relative intensity for the longest period of time is the person that reaches their goals. Mm-hmm.
3: So it's the, uh, the Chinese proverb, I think. That's the—I think you just you're challenging it. The perfect time to plant a tree was twenty years ago. Yeah. The next best time is right is now. today. Today, yeah. it's not January first. It's like don't wait to plant oh, the tree yeah. January first. Just start today.
5: Well, it's a uh, uh, what do we call it? Um, the National Get Ready to Get Ready Day. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, like we we. Oh, I really love your program. I'm going to jump on it as soon as I get back into shape. Right. And like oh, we hear that all the time. Uh, I'm not in good enough shape to show up to this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there's people here like that are in awful shape. Yeah. Like just show up and do one. Yeah. Yeah. We have to
3: overcome that a lot. I think you know meeting meeting people on their own terms uh, is key because again fitness is can be broad and it can be very individual and I think that you know like trying to refrain from from assuming a a very dogmatic posture on like no this is the way this is the only way Mm -hmm. and you see a lot of that in fitness of course I mean you kind of mentioned before about like kind of a certain like elitism Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for us because it is general population we're literally have a twenty year old fresh in college and you know, 70 year olds and that whole spectrum and range of experiences and fitness levels and age and all the things, you know, we have to kind of, uh, try to tackle that and create this, this product and this experience that everybody there can not only, uh, have a great time, have a great experience, feel empowered and encouraged, but also like achievers, like we're getting people better. And that's been, it's been fun. It's been a challenge for us for sure. We talk a lot about how to do that and create that experience. Um, but you know, general populations are our world. So we gotta really lean into that. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, where do people learn about Camp Gladiator in their area? I mean, if you're living up in, like, northern Canada, odds are... They there's have not the Camp be...
5: Gladiator right around the corner, negative 40 degrees. Because it's <sighs> an outdoor experience,
2: fits. right? It's,
5: it has been, <laughs> but with COVID, <laughs> we're, we're virtual, so we have a
4: virtual offering. Um, and it, it's super cool story. I never thought that I would ever say that I was training somebody in Boston and in Africa at the same time. Um, enter Zoom and COVID and this crazy year. Um, but that happened. A gal yeah. was working out in Africa, it was 5 p.m. her time. We're at six in the morning or eight, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, if somebody was in, in Alaska or Canada, they could technically hop in a-
3: It's been fun with virtual, <laughs> yeah. One of the, you know, as we start the workout, we'll usually have a maybe sometimes, it's Zoom, so drop in the chat section. Hey, you know, let us know where you're coming from. And it's, it's pretty common now, I'll train in the same workout somebody in every time zone in the u.s you know i got it yeah. san diego i've it's got awesome. jackson before it's really fun yep. and so to your point uh you can go to the the website dot to get all sorts of information but yeah that used to be like only relative to the markets that we're in but now with virtual you know it, we have, we're training folks from all over the all over the country all over the world so
2: amazing what about for young aspiring coaches or trainers looking to maybe pivot into this area same spot all on there?
3: Same spot. Yeah, it's all on there for sure. Uh, there's a kind of a, a career section of the website to get some more information. Mm-hmm.
5: Sweet. Sweet. Anything else we John? No, sounds great. I'm uh, really thankful you guys came in and uh, it was an incredible conversation. I'm great to connect and um, just learned something that, that it wasn't necessarily on my radar until, you know, we met it was about almost a year ago and then getting to sit here and learn more. It's it's inspiring. And it's great to see. Well, Austin's the new performance hub of the United States. Austin's the new everything. It I is. mean, Joe Rogan moved here, so instantly now everybody wants to move Elon here. Elon Musk, too, uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay Figuera, um, mm. he, he just hit me up. He's moving out here.
2: I came here from McConaughey. So I'm, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: didn't we all?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the blueberry and the bowl of tomato soup. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, But no, thanks, guys. Is there anything else you guys want to say? If these guys want to follow you guys on social or anything, do you want to plug? I mean, I basically know it sounds like you're not a big social guy, but
4: Cody? I'm really only active on Facebook. Um, yeah. I don't know if that is an indication of my age, but um, <laughs> I have an Instagram page, but it's not. I'm definitely not on TikTok. I'm not
5: on Snapchat. Oh,
4: dude, you guys.
5: <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, have you seen McQuilkin's TikTok? He does all these Killer. great dance moves. Yeah, and he's it's really like, delicious. all he's right. Madonna. It true? All Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> Fitness <laughs> dancing at McQuilkin. Check it. And uh, there's a lot of Madonna and a lot of cat dancing. Hang on real quick. Are you squatting
2: on at McQuokin on TikTok?
5: You're damn right I am.
2: Sandbagging <laughs> <laughs> son of a bitch what's
1: the What's the new platform? Uh, oh, uh, uh, parlor. Parler? Yeah, no, I, I picked I that can't keep up. Yeah, I, I went
5: and uh, squatted on John Paul. Wait, Ball hang on. on Did you get Luke Summers? Yeah, no, I have You, uh, I knew I, it. You got,
2: you <laughs> got LukeSummers.com. It's nothing he's but,
1: yeah, everywhere. Yeah. You can have it for a fee. Exactly. Yeah, and I picked up the Luke Summers, so. You
2: sons of bitches. I'll Don't worry. That. Well, thank not you, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank
1: you, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you. Yeah,
5: these no. Thank, yeah, not these uh, But thank
2: you, Power Athlete Nation, for tuning into another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ding.
6: Ding.
2: Until next time,
4: Ding. Bye. 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 Thank you, gentlemen. Dan
0: later Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Follow these guys on Instagram at Camp Gladiator. Also, check out campgladiator.com to find a camp near you or information on how to train virtually from your own home. This is starting to sound like an infomercial, so until next time, bye!